Hey everyone, it's Tom here, Alf Metallica, back with a quick introduction for another long-form compilation edition of the show. Today we are looking back on the band's debut. We are looking back on Kill 'Em All. And if you're not familiar with how this works, basically what I've done is I've assembled the 10 episodes where we discuss the 10 songs of Kill 'Em All. I've put them in order. I've topped and tailed them, as it were. I've took off the introduction of the fans and the questions at the end. So it's just me and someone from around the world talking about a song on Kill 'Em All. And just before we get to those and the songs and the thank yous and all that sort of stuff, follow us at MetallicaPod. Of course, get in touch with me if you want to come on the show, if you want to correspond in any way, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. We've got lots of fun stuff coming up on the show. So by the time this is released, the next episode will be the Glastonbury Review, which I've already recorded. That was a fantastic episode where we went through the 2014 headline slot. I'm then working on, probably do a compilation after that. I'm trying to, you know, doing one-on-one off as it were but then I've got the episode where I'm going to be looking at Metallica's books that's going to be a solo episode so I'm just going to kind of you know do a compedium as it were look back you know what was written what was said like I've read a lot of them but I don't really remember a lot of them to be honest so it's going to be more like this was written here here's what Goodread said and stuff like that but hopefully that'll interest you but it certainly does interest me that sort of stuff um then the next big episode that I'm going to be working towards is going to be the 30th anniversary show so I want to do a long form review like the guys over at Metal Your Podcast did ages and ages ago like I remember listening to that episode when I was first getting into them which is like three years ago or so shout out Clint and Ethan so going to be doing that And then possibly, I mean, this is looking further into the future now, but I do want to do another mega history. So you're probably already familiar with the Jason Newstead one we did with Jack, which is like three hours or so. So yeah, the next one I'm looking to do would be a mega histories. Definitely go back and check out the first one of those I did with Jack on Jason Newstead. It's like pretty much three hours of us deep diving the man's past and, uh, you know, his future. So I was thinking, who do I want to cover next? Probably not a band member. Maybe Bob Rock might be interesting to get into, actually. Uh, someone in that realm, just to look at the albums that he's produced before and since Metallica, his work ethic, his style, his uh, indelible fashion. So, uh, yeah, that's what the future's looking like. If you do want to hear those episodes before they drop on the main page, of course, you can help support us on Patreon. Thank you to all the people that do and continue to do so. So, um, yeah, today we're going to be looking at the 10 episodes of Kill 'Em All. And huge thanks to everyone that came on the show. So the first song on Kill 'Em All is Hit the Lights. That was episode 68 with Brendan Hill. Then Four Horsemen is next, which is episode 51 with Jason Allen. Jeremy Riley came on for the third song, Motor Breath, which is episode 96. Fourth track is Jump in the Fire, which is episode 76 with Jim Coe. John Moore, good friend of mine, John Moore, came on. That was episode 8, very early episode for Anesthesia Pulling Teeth. Whiplash Follows, which is 163 with Rob Zamochki. I hope I'm saying that right, Rob. Uh, Phantom Lord Follows, episode 111 with Oliver Ham. Phil Rister was on for No Remorse. That was episode 102. Episode 124 was next with Ivan K. Bacharov. That was, of course, Seek Destroy the Penultimate Track. And finally, the closing track is Metal Militia, which is episode 91 with Ralph M. Savetto. So, you know, the reason I say those episode numbers is, well, one, I just want to, again, draw attention to the great contributions by all the people that were on the show. But, um, you know, go back, because often when you're hearing these clips, you're only hearing half the episode. So if you enjoy the guests, you enjoy the patter, you want some more Alpha Metallica in these, uh, you know, ominous lockdown times, hopefully we can brighten the little corner of your day in some way, then uh, go and check them out. But, uh, yeah, guys... This is Kill 'em All, and this is Hit the Lights.
And yeah, the email, as I say, is there. Uh, the first one I just received from Cole Johnson today. He says, Hi Tom, love your podcast. I first got into Metallica when Low came out. I bought Cunning Stunts and heard this song in the Kilroy melody and thought, what the hell was that? Because I hadn't listened to the back catalogue yet. Later, I had some kind of Monster EP and its live version became my favourite of all their songs. Uh, this is about Hit the Lights, I should say. I finally went and bought all the back catalogue. I was thrilled to hear it at first. It's just a great, fun song. Right now, my top five are Hit the Lights, Hardwired, Master of Puppets, Spit Out the Bone, and All Nightmare Long. Anyway, keep up the great work. Thanks, Cole Johnson in Baytown, Texas. Cole, thank you so much. And yeah, I think, you know, what you're summing up is definitely what we're going to get to. I think most people in their right mind, you know, really regard Hit the Lights as a sort of minor masterpiece to a certain extent. It definitely led to me reevaluating <coughs> Load recently uh, and just being like, yo, kill them all, shit's on Load, fuck Load, anesthesia is better than anything. But, you know, I'm not dismissing until it sleeps, but... There's something about that pure uh, artistry in anesthesia. I don't know about you. Is anesthesia better than anything on load? Uh, no, I don't. No. no, I'm not bothered with anesthesia. To be honest with you. Wow. It's uh, yeah, no, I, I don't really care Cliff. that much. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Cliff. No, it's just, it's it's fine. It's surprising that it's on an album. It's just yeah. uh, it's very arty, um, and just freeform, and it's fair play to them for putting on a record. I don't think it's. You know, I think it's the guy jamming out. It wouldn't do anything for me, to be honest. Tom. I, it has a lot of shape, though. It has a lot of structure. It's not just jamming. Oh no, of course it's not jamming, but it's inspired. You know, it's uh, it's fine. But no, no, I take many tracks off load before that track. Okay, okay. I'm, so sure, I'm, yeah, in, the, I'm in, the, I'm in the load camp. I no, 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 no. I know. Up, so, you know I'm so. choosing to die on this hill for no reason. Like I'm just trying to antagonize the <laughs> listeners. So don't take oh, it no, personally. I, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm all for the antagonism. Uh, and I want to shout out as well finally just before we get the song um, or- Auraline Monroe I'm-, I'm saying that definitely wrong in my garbled brummy tones but um, uh, you know they support it on the Patreon thank you so much for that as well Patreon is there uh, Alf Metallica but um, Hit the Lights w- one of the wonderful things uh, about music for me is the sort of time capsule nature is going on Spotify, discovering a band like I recently got into Black Flag, for example, and being able to go to the most modern stuff, you know, not there is very modern stuff, but going back, you know, to Damaged and, you know, the Greg Jean instrumentals and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, we do it here with Metallica. And there's something so brilliant about being aware of the band like Dr. Manhattan coexistently as the hardwired guys, but you can sort of see a bit of them in Hit the Lights, which was very much their debut, you know, the Metal Mania origins. This is a big song for them. Yeah. Um, no, you can see, I suppose, it popping up on the first track on the last album. Yep. It's kind of a similar kind of straight in there, no messing. Uh, it's good crack. It's a bit of fun, you know. Yeah, yeah it is, it is. I but wouldn't it... take it too seriously. No, no, the, the intro, the sort of trash canning, the false ending, the getting louder around, crashing, and you know, it feels like the end of the show at the start of the album. Yeah, yeah, but I suppose it's kind of an intro track for a show, so mm. it's kind of setting the scene, and I was just watching some live footage from the early days, and they come out, Joe Hitfield doing his, he's shooting the crowd with his gun, mm. guitar kind of thing, so yeah. it's a bit of fun, it's getting the, getting the kids ready for action, I suppose, the metal militia. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, kind of similar to a certain extent, to the end of Cthulhu, you know, that big sort of pomp and, you know, just the, just the way they own it, really, the character that they have, the earned glory, and then it kicks in to the main riff of Hit the Lights, which which I love. It's brilliant, don't get me wrong. It's also, Brendan, one of the most generic riffs ever. Oh, yeah, I'm not, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a, it's, in a good it's way. Major. Yeah. It's major. It's, it's fine. It's, uh, I would have thought, when I heard it first, I thought it was more of a Mustaine kind of, 
mm. uh, guitar thing. It was a bit more wiry. Uh, yeah, than, yeah, yeah. Sk- skin, of, skin of my teeth by Megadeth reminds me of it with the pedal point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, Hetfield wrote it, and I suppose it's, it's an earlier song from his first band. So, God only knows yeah. what it sounded like back then. It was probably even more seventies. You know, it's it's very you know it's that song. It's it's pretty seventies. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's kind of got that seventies vibe running through it. You know. Yeah, that leather charm. I think that was leather charm. Yes. Yeah, I that's, can only imagine. That's where the song comes from. And yeah. I think the title was inspired. I think I read this by like a Diamond Head song that's like shoot out the lights or or something yeah. like that. And, you know, everyone knows what I mean when I say this riff is generic in a good sort of way. It's just chugging on that open A. It's the chords everyone messes about with. It's those kind mm. of, you know, just 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 reliable and, you know, proto-thrash. I listen to a lot of Dokken and George Lynch kind of has this style as well. Uh, nothing yeah. too fancy. And what I love about this song, why I think this song so brilliant, it, it features solo guitar, you know, it ends with like almost two minutes solo by Kirk. But it has these little breaks, these little interludes. They Verses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really invigorate the song. Yeah, to just give it a, a talk, the whole, get it ready for the next bit. It's kind of repetitive and kind of wanky to a certain extent, but it works in this song. And it, where I love it, where I think you know, absolutely excels, is the chorus and the way it kind of shifts on its heels and it becomes head banging and hip shaking at the same time. It's so rhythmic. Yeah, yeah, to get a good groove on. Yeah, the bass is pretty good in this. You know, it's kind of classic rhythm section kind of bass and drums kind of thing backing mm. it up so no it's a solid song definitely yeah i yeah i think i really enjoy it and hetfield's voice though he he, he screeches a lot doesn't he <laughs> he does he's pretty he's pretty high uh i was listening to did you listen to the obviously the no life to leather one where yes he's even more oh he's more robert plants it's more robert plant than uh James Hetfield, but uh, soaked yeah. in <laughs> soaked in reverb that original, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's really uh, the the yes and that are hilarious as well. You gotta yeah. you gotta love the yes. Yeah. But even on this one, it feels like he just you know hit the lights, like you know he just has this odd you know Axl Rose ish lead singer ish quality that he would yeah, grow into. Yeah. But I suppose he'd yet to grow into his voice. You know, he's still they're only kids. You know, they're yes. still uh, full of full of hormones and whatnot. But. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't until Puppets, I suppose, he kind of grew into his, got a bit more low end going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're saying they're young, and you're right. And, I mean, lyrically, the song plays like some sort of bedroom fantasy. It's, uh, the lyrics are, it's like they're written by a 14-year-old. You know, it's, uh, I yeah, I, the lyrics are hilarious, you know. It's uh, metal madness and fans screaming, and when you start to rock, we yeah. never want to stop again. You know, it's uh, it's, it's pretty good. We know our fans are insane. Yeah, they are that's insane. Like, that's and like, that's like politically, you know what I mean? That's influencing consent. Oh, it's it's ridiculous. And what else have we got? We got, uh, yeah, they're going to rip right through your brain. They got lethal power. Yeah. It'll cause you sweet pain. Oh, sweet pain. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's up there. Mm. He, he, he did improve over time, you could say. And uh, the, the middle riff. Which again is nourishingly predictable. It reminds me a lot of Budgie, which Metallica yeah, obviously yeah. took it's, huge influence. Like, no, 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 no. Like, how many fucking bands do that? Like, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. It's just reeks of seventies kind of. Mm. It could be any number of seventies bands, kind of. Yeah. Midsection, yeah. you know. Definitely. But uh, it's it's good fun, and then it, I suppose it gets a bit heavier to back up the the solo. The yes. Solo that lasts forever, but uh, really long really long and it's ah, I don't know I do like it like I am a bit of a Kirk hater but I do think it's a pretty good solo I think it it kind of justifies its worth to a certain extent but it is 
I don't know how satisfied these solos have dated where it's literally, I don't know, there is some shape to it, but not yeah, in the yeah. overall there's, sculpted. Yeah, I know what you're saying. There's not much mm. team running throat, but it's, I suppose it, it, it's similar enough to the Mustaine one. You know, let's say yeah. there's there's a bit in it that kind of Holy Wars kind of takes off. You know, there's mm. a bit of Holy Wars solo at the end of it. Oh, man, what solo. Yeah, 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 but there's a bit of a climb up on about 345 on this solo that I suppose... Mustaine took back for his Holy Wars bit, so yeah. which was a much better solo, let's face it. Yeah, yeah, and I think obviously you compare it to like say the closing solo to Fade to Black and you know stuff like that. But it is, it, yeah, you know, it's but a time, it's a time capsule. Like you know, they they've grown, oh, yeah. they've grew as players. Look, they were only what, 19, 20, 18, 19, 20 when they wrote this stuff. So you know, the leaps they had over the next few years were, was ridiculous. Like so, it was a very good, very good starting point. It's full of energy and uh, it's a bit of fun, you know. Yeah, and we mentioned before the Metal Massacre, uh, Brian Slagle idea there. 1982, the first pressing contained Metallica as the final song. Um, mm. Obviously, their name was misspelt as well. A um, couple of T's in there was a Yeah, yeah, there was a few. And I, you know, I don't know if people are going to be interested in this, but I definitely want to do an episode in the future going through this album because I've not listened to it. But there's a few bands I know, like Rat is on there. And there apparently is mm. an instrumental called Octave by Avatar, which I uh, want to see. Fighting Backwards by Pandemonium's track eight as well. So maybe we'll do that. But yeah, that version. Oh, magical people need to seek out that version like you know in the same way uh beatles fans you know want the quarrymen footage that's horribly recorded from the audio you know mix on the day like this is this is the equivalent for metallica fan to see this uh you know this yeah. is really our first glimpse of them wasn't it yeah i actually haven't heard it so mm. i must check it out yeah yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's i'm sure it's pretty magical tom it is <laughs> it is hopefully i've sold it but uh yeah <laughs> there's, there's, I do agree, yeah, the solo can be a bit elongated, um, but all in all, the song whizzes by, I feel. Yeah, it, it, it's in and out. It's, it's four minutes, which is, it doesn't feel like four minutes, to be mm. fair to it. Uh, well, I suppose that the intro is 35 seconds. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it, it, an intro and a solo and you're half the song there. So, but uh, yeah, no, it's in and out. It's good fun. It's, uh, it's not something I'd be bothered with. Well, it's, no, it's no. fun. I, I quite like the drums to a certain extent as well. Uh, yeah. Lars, Lars apes the riff uh, with the rhythms that you know James's guitar sort of guides, and um, I think he mentioned actually in the Mick Wall book where when he heard the original recording that I mentioned just before, uh, you know the producer commented that it wasn't tight enough, and that sort of haunted yeah. James, and you know that was his ghost, and that's what he worked on, and you know you can you can feel that in the song from there. You just feel secure uh, as a listener. You know, good stuff is coming, and he's playing is absolutely sublime. Uh, Cliff as well. You you can't really hear too much Cliff on this song, really. No, uh, it's, it's no, there, it's, but it's there. But I suppose it's it's sure he didn't. It wasn't involved in writing the song, and no, it was very similar without it. And it's just more classic. It's more of a classic rock thing, I suppose, really. Yeah. And it's just classic bass and drums, and it's just he's hitting the notes, he's backing it up, filling it out. But yeah, it's not. He's not doing his anesthesia or anesthesia, whatnot. No, <laughs> no which Madness. I which I've established, uh, you know, is uh, maybe slightly better than low. But there's big trash canning at the end ah. as we. Be- there's big trash canning at the end uh, as we began. Uh, the yeah. sort of descending moment. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's uh, you know a nice sort of uh, symmetrical close to it as well, and almost works on record as an intro to Four Horsemen that it goes straight into. Yeah, yeah, no, bang straight into it. I suppose it runs like a live album, you know, yeah. or live setting, you know, it's in out into the next song. Don't give them a chance to boo you, you know. Let's get on to the next song. Yeah, it was uh, it remains 
for me, a standout track from them. Uh, you know, something that I really, truly do enjoy. And what warms my heart, Brendan, is that they still play this song on tours. Still, everyone loves it, of course. Uh, yeah, I don't love it, Tom, to be honest. Right. Uh, but yeah, I'd be disappointed though if I turned up and I heard this song. But wow. uh, there's so many. Well, there's so many better songs that could be playing. I just find these songs are they're taking it easy songs. You know, um, they're not pushing themselves for these songs. I uh... do, you, do you find that, or do you find? Do you know? It's like when sure you've read various Metallica books. You know the way they kind of. They were sick of writing complicated songs after Justice, and you know they were sick of mm. having heart attacks on stage trying to remember stuff, and they just go for the the handier things, you know. Mm. But I just find it it's a bit juvenile. I no, yeah, I appreciate that, but for me, that nascency is the appeal. I like seeing this sort of uh, raw cut, and I still think as fresh songs, they're really enjoyable within the genre within the time. Like I think yeah. they age age quite well, and yeah, I, I get what you're saying. They're sort of basic cruise control songs, but I don't yeah. know. There's a, there's a lot of lot of heart behind them. So yeah, I am I'm quite a big fan of uh, Hit the Lights. I did open it up to at Metallica Pod on the Twitter. Uh, this is just recent, just before I went on air. So Alex saying dumbest lyrics written by Metallica, but one of their best songs. Yeah. I think I think. Uh, that's, that's I don't know if you can have the dumbest lyrics ever in one of their best songs. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a juxtaposition, but. Uh, yeah. Okay. No, it's it's fun. It, the music is fun. The lyrics are just idiotic. You know. I think that's fair. You know. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. We'll right. have to. Yeah. Okay. Go on. <laughs> Let's kick some ass tonight. Um. Definitely. Let's so. kick some ass tonight, Tom. You know. It, it, it works to live by. Luke on the Twitter as well. Uh, classic tune, full of energy and flashy as fuck. Thank you, Luke. Um. Let's see what other people were saying. There's some gifts here of Kirk that I'm whizzing by. Uh, if the Metallica story in, this is Danny Santana saying in terms of official albums anyway begins with Hit the Lights and ends with Spit Out the Bone I'd say that's one hell of a story yeah um, <laughs> well, well, Spit Out the Bone is brilliant yeah. uh, I don't think this is Spit Out the Bone you know I think, mm. Spit, Out the Bone is, yeah, I think Spit Out the Bone is genuinely brilliant um, it's the best thing like if the whole last album was just Spit Out the Bone repeated as just spit out the bone for 12 songs it would have been <laughs> ridiculously good but um it, this song is fine yeah tom you're not going to get me to say it's brilliant you know i know i know you're pushing <laughs> the twitter you, you're, have you're, yeah twitter have yeah but i yeah but look metallic fans you know they're yeah they're a funny fun. bunch you know um let's face it <laughs> so uh we will uh close up with a few quick fire questions actually just before i do uh yeah. just, just for you and the fans uh just felt obviously fans on the website as always hit the lights been performed 211 times which is actually a bit fewer than i thought that kind of shows that it wasn't on a lot of tours march 14th 1982 in Anaheim was where they debuted it last performed yeah. may 7th 2018 so what's that like a few months before we recorded this in stockholm sweden yeah I, you know i can't imagine they're not going to do it as you say it's a kind of cruise control song which makes sense in the the you know the closing encore section that i think it resides you know certainly later in the set um, yeah, disappointing, Tom. Disappointing way to go home. All that, to put in, what, what else did they put in? I was watching one of the gigs lately, and I think they had this, and they had Nothing Else Matters in the encore. Mm. And it was just like, ah, oh, Jesus, you know. Wow. Would you be happy with that? Uh, I, yeah, I'd like to see something else rather than Nothing Else Matters, but I do like yeah, it as a song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a fine song, but you know.
before I did this show, Kill 'Em All to me as as a record in of itself. I didn't quite put it on par with like Ride and Master and Justice, and I still don't to a certain extent. I still think those three records are better. But I think altogether, I have such respect now for Kill 'Em All. I think as a set of ten songs, Four Horsemen included, it is a marvel, as you say, that these guys, barely out of their teens, constructed a, a fresh metal classic. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you listen to some of them, and some of them are really kind of straightforward. Like you, you have a song like Whiplash, which is kind of. Yeah. You know, one thing, breakneck, we're here to kick your ass kind of thing. And then, you know, it almost feels like it doesn't belong in the same band as something like Four Horsemen, because Horsemen kind of gives you a, a little bit of that epicness that we're going to get with Lightning and with Cthulhu and with Orion. You know, these songs that are multi-movement kind of things instead of just four minutes, motor breath, boom, 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 we're done. You know, and, and it was a it was great to go back and just kind of relive that that kind of vibrance with them and there's a real garagey kind of vibe to it too completely completely this is the the second track on kill em all it's actually the longest track uh, on kill em all as well seven minutes and 13 seconds which you know but i mean obviously length and metal go hand in hand really to have this epic nature but fresh metal's been sort of you know run and gun to a certain extent and i don't know about you but i love the way this song starts you know everyone knows this song it's probably one of metallica's most famous songs from the early years but just that and it's breakneck from the beginning yeah it it doesn't it doesn't let up at all and it really sets the tone for what's going to come pretty much on every album from that point with the second track you know the second really became nuanced with the name of the album uh you know justice in particular is just this epic 10 minute thing and then you know puppets obviously you know one of their best songs ever written in my opinion and and it never really lets go with with that kind of thing i mean you in the load stuff you you do kind of you slip away from that, but you you slip yeah. away from all things Metallica in their themes with Load and Reload. True, true. I guess two by four is the sort of four horsemen equivalent, but it, yeah, I, the sort of the theory is is it, and memory remains as well. But yeah, there's sort of a breaking from what made Metallica Metallica to a certain extent. I'm, I'm sure people will disagree. And you know, historically as well, Four Horsemen's an interesting track because it's one of the few tracks that has the Mustaine writing credit. And I don't know if you're aware, but he pretty much took the song because he felt that he wrote the whole song and redid it as mechanics on the first Megadeth record and just basically did Four Horsemen at double the speed. Yeah, you know, I, I, I had heard that song long, long ago uh, because I had heard that that had happened and he had taken it and he felt that it was, you know, his his song. Yeah. And when I listen to it, I mean, you know, it's probably my bias coming in, but I feel that the tempo that the boys played it at is much more appropriate for what's yeah. going on. Yeah. Um, it's it's much more a, uh, you know, a, a, too showy, in my opinion, and too fast for just the sake of being fast. And I, I really do not like the solo at the end of Mechanics. I think yeah. it's very sloppy. Yeah, I completely agree. And it, it's a weird phenomenon, really, because when you're so used to a song, you're so used to the vocal melodies, especially, and where the voice goes. And I think Mustaine's choice and register on Mechanics is... A little odd, a little off for me. It's not as expansive as Four Horsemen as well. Obviously, Four Horsemen Live, the band will often play the five-minute version rather than the original seven-minute version, which is a bit of a shame. But yeah, the mechanics, I think, by, by virtue of being very, very fast, is about four minutes or so. So we go from that intro, that, you know, clattering intro, to that... Which is a very unusual thing. Like, if you know about it on guitar, they're using the bottom E string and they're playing it over. But it's got a very busy, swingy swing to it that's quite unique yeah absolutely you know i i've been playing guitar pretty much since the same time i picked up the black album uh, that was what caused me to get into that 
And, you know, obviously, you know, I, I play a lot of Metallica. They're a huge influence on me. Oh, yeah. They're so fun uh, to play on guitar, aren't they? They're one of the bands that are just can't get enough of riffing them out. Absolutely. You know, and there's some songs that uh, just to listen to, they're not always my favorite, but to play, they absolutely are. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of them are the more obscure ones, you know, like uh, not obscure, but uh, like All Nightmare Long is one of my favorite oh, songs man. to play because it's just so complicated. Yeah. It's a real it's a real treat. But for that particular riff, it really like it sets the tone for what's going to be kind of a gallopy type song all mm. through, you know, and, and it's just like if when you think about it and you listen to it, I mean, it kind of sounds like horses clopping along yeah. in, a, in a lot of a lot of different parts of the song. Yeah. And and one of my favorite parts about that intro is there's a tiny little like pitch harmonic that hits the yes. first time. And what I noticed about it listening to it today, and I, I normally wouldn't pay attention to it that much, but I, I knew, you know, that we would be talking about it for in long form. And when you notice that when they go back to that riff, there's only one other time in the song that you hit that harmonic, which tells me, like, these guys aren't just laying down one take. Like, they're playing this song as a band live on the tape. And, and that's really cool because you don't see that a lot. It's very Pro Tools cut and paste these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like a, yeah, a finger was caught on the string, but it, but it, they heard it, they kept it in. It adds a bit of flair to it. And then moving from that riff, which you're so right. I hadn't really considered it as horses, you know, moving. But yeah, I completely agree. And I, I'll get to a point later, which I feel is very equine, I guess the word, of a horse. And then we get into the verse riff, the da 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 which is very classic, you know, uh, very Sabbath, very maiden, very open string being resolved to the power chords and again mm -hmm. this has such a forward onslaught march it's like metallica have this way and you know so many songs i think for whom the bell tolls is an obvious it's just great riff after great riff after great riff it's such quality yeah i would definitely agree i mean there there's certainly no shortage of of great stuff on any album really i mean they're Headfield is just a riff writing machine oh my God. with with this kind of stuff and 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 the, the sort of the nuances about how he plays is very interesting because there's a lot of bands that would just do two open E's ba 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 you know mm. instead or maybe even four if they wanted to be flashy but you know Headfield here is is really doing that three note gallop in a lot of stuff that da 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 and and Lars is matching him with the with the kick and and Cliff is in there. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to the remastered version that they put out a couple years ago, uh, Cliff is really prominent. You can hear him and he's just right there riffing along with yeah. them, playing finger bass. And I mean, I really got a whole new appreciation of, of Burton and his talents listening to that remastered version definitely, of this album definitely um you know the, the quality that he gives to every track especially and and, and yeah i know what you're saying the earlier mixes is a little bit more tough to discern certain elements of the song um you know one of the things that you can't forget about kill em all really is how the vocals sound they are sort of drenched in reverb but james is very young and he kind of yelps a lot of these lines like especially when he says fourth winds blow you know it, it's almost like his voice is breaking on track yeah, for sure. It's it, man. He sounds so young here, and um, I heard a copy of "Hit the Lights" that, that was even earlier than this, and and he was singing totally different. And I know we're not talking about that song, but it's just it, like Hetfield's really like just growing up, you know, over the course of these two albums, and and it's he's he's not really singing necessarily, but yeah, he's just got that real punk barking kind of thing, and and like that ow ow, you know, like mm -hmm. that kind of thing going on where <laughs> you know 
it's it's i find it it's got such great energy yeah yeah it really does it's really sincere and you know there's something quite vital uh quite blood-filled about it and we get to the chorus which again feels quite equine to me. So we just get simple chords here with the horsemen are drawing nearer. And you get the sense of sort of a landscape, uh, you know, a, a panorama, someone on horseback looking forward. And I love the bass as well. You talk about Burton before. Like, he's kind of McCartney-esque. Like, he's not going to settle on root notes. There's always little melody lines carving out little shapes underneath the guitars, you know? Absolutely. You know, and that was something that I never, like I said, really paid attention to before i mean i was there and i was aware of it but i'm always kind of focused on the guitar part and what the vocal melody's doing and when he's doing those open notes those open power chords descending down uh burden is not just like sitting back and doing the open string i mean he's in there he's got little melody lines and and lars keeps that gallop going with the toms and stuff all through that part and it, it takes a part that could be very very basic you know very uh I, I listened to Dream No More the other day, your mm. podcast, and, and that intro is just, you know, kind of descending notes. Yeah. And this this could have been a lot like that, but sure. there's so much movement, even though the guitars themselves aren't doing a whole lot. Yeah. And, you know, James again gets a good yelp on the second chorus with a day you were born, like on the first line, and he's just sort of catching himself here. I, I love the subject matter. You know, it's the most metal thing ever, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. But I love that, you know, obviously going through the song, they realize we can't keep calling them the four horsemen. What else can we say? Quartet of deliverance. That's just so badass. It definitely is. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's uh, you see a lot more of this type of same influence. It Lyrically, I mean, it reminds me, obviously, a lot of like creeping death with the biblical yeah, references yeah. and and uh, and telling those stories and. Again, when you compare it to like the me- mechanics, it's it's no comparison at all lyrically. I mean, this is the far superior track. Oh god, oh god, yeah. And I mean, like Four Horsemen as well. For those not really not aware from the New Testament, I believe you know the sort of the revelation, um, death, famine, war, and pestilence. I think are the ones there, uh, which they sort of take liberties with slightly. They say famine, pestilence, death, and time. Yeah, it, it is a long song, and it has a lot of movement. So we have the first verse chorus second verse second chorus and then we just get into another spoil of riffs here and we begin with one of the most metal things ever jason hetfield just chugging that open e oh my gosh yeah just that and it's it's again it's one of those things that a lot of other people would cheat you know they would just go bop 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 or something like that but to throw that little gallop in there but it's never like there's nothing about Metallica that I've ever heard. And I'm like, oh, he's just doing that to show us he can do that. You know, it fits the song perfectly for what they're trying to accomplish. And I'll never forget, like one of my favorite performances, if you want to say of that riff is off the live binge and purge when they're in San Diego and Lars gets up from his drum set, runs across that little sky bridge and hits that other kit. Yeah. Like just as it finishes, the, the four guys are all there and they're just rocking out and you could just man you could feel it it's such mm. a cool riff mm. and, and it's I, so it's it's only one note but it's such a yeah, cool riff yeah it is and i like the way it's built upon as well that now now the guitar's coming over the top as well sort of interrupting reminds me a little bit and this is sort of a bit of an obscure pull but um the sort of bridge section after the solo in cyanide they do a similar thing where you have one guitar interrupting the other and that sort of dissonance creates a lot of excitement and then you have um something that feels very thin lizzy-esque the no 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 you know the sort of pen 
pentatonic move down, and then into another riff that da na 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 na. Like that again is just classic to me. It's kind of gnarled in a certain way, and it's only making these notes that made me realise how much I love Four Horsemen. Like I've always thought it's a good song, but going through the notes, I'm just like bloody hell. The quality. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. This particular riff, um, I found really challenging when I was first learning how to play. And I I actually tried to play it. Is it is it just a difficult fingering or? It's well, you're you're playing five seven on the E string, and then you got to hit eight on the A. And a lot of players find it hard to uh, go from ring finger on one string to pinky on the on the next string down, and Mm -hmm. that's that particular move. So I've always played it open A, two on A, and then C, yeah, and then uh, three two, right, zero two, you know, on that on the D string. So I kind of cheated a little bit, and uh, I feel slightly guilty when I do because <laughs> when I try when I play, you know, I, I really try to to play exactly how Hetfield does because I feel like that's that's the only way to do it correctly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's uh. For those that know, you know that riff. It's it's a similar, very similar kind of challenging fingering to the tail end of Moth into Flame, where it right. it uh, it does that. You know that's that's it's kind of the same pattern right in there, yeah. and it's it's a, it's definitely tricky. What I especially like about that riff, though, Tom, is how they hang on it for eight measures. Right. There's so many bands that have cool riffs, and they're just out of them too quick. They're just on to the next thing yep. too quick. And you can definitely tell, like, these guys know that this is a kick-ass riff, and we're going to hang here, and you're going to listen to it for 20 seconds, and mm-hmm. you're going to like it, yeah. you know? Yeah, well, James sings over it, and we get another sort of creeping death similarity with the time, famine, you know, the sort of the, the gang vocals behind him. And I like yeah. how, uh, you know, the sort of the person that he's describing is being affected by each four of the horsemen in certain ways. Famine is tearing the body, you have to endure pestilence, time as, you know, the lines that crack on your face. It's, you know, it's all fantastic stuff and we get into the section which isn't really played live as i say um the sort of mm-hmm. slower section it feels a little leonard skinnered to me it feels a little southern rocky to me you know like it doesn't feel very thrashy at all what, what are your thoughts on this bit yeah it, it's it's like a lot of things with metallica where you you'll hear it and the first time you'll go through you'll feel like it's kind of out of place but mm. then they're so good that eventually you just kind of accept it as, okay, this is where we're going now. Um, It definitely feels like a totally different part of the song. And um, I was reading, you know, a bit about the the history of the song and it's, you brought up Leonard Skinner. And I think that um, Mustaine was quoted that he said that that part was particularly built to be influenced by Skinner. And it does have a very sweet home Alabama kind of vibe where you have the two pedal notes uh set in the the root and then you have the two descending you know so dun dun mm. na, 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 yeah, uh, na, na. yeah. The, the thing that i find coolest about there going back to burton is each of the four times uh james and kirk play that melody burton's doing something totally different all mm. four times yeah and it and it fits it's not like burton standing out it it adds to the the build toward that solo definitely definitely he's ascending up and let's talk about that solo because i mean there's two real solos you know the one that closes which is a bit more traditional uh metal and this one's quite bluesy isn't it kirk in that load reload mode before it really existed <laughs> yeah i mean it is totally different i mean really compared to anything else on the album yeah, it's the yeah. only section that's that's like this and uh 
Uh, I particularly like this solo better than the closeout solo. Sure, yeah. Um, and it's one of the only times I think, pretty much in their whole catalog, where they'll have where they have sort of it's it's not a, a guitar duel or it's not two guitars playing in unison like uh, you know like you'll get with like one or something like that you know that da 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 da. It's not that. It's like two guitar solos that complement each other that are just laid on top. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Yes uh, recently, and that's something they do a lot uh, at the end of their big songs, where because it it's, it almost feels like two people talking at once, and it shouldn't work, but it, it does in this sense. You can follow either lead, you can let both of them sort of soak over you, and mm-hmm. you know, I love the ambition here for a band like this to do a big Four Horsemen, you know, the Apocalypse epic, and really pull it off. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, for them to to have motor breath in this song on the same album it really yeah. shows the range and and their their variety of influence anesthesia as the fifth track as well yeah i mean just, yeah. i mean burton is just so ridiculously good oh my gosh um his his influence is felt across all three of these albums that he's a part of mm. um and it's it's a it's a shame that he wasn't able to contribute further yeah, no, of course. And, you know, we end this section with, again, that sort of 70s descending riff that we heard before. And then, you know, back into riffs we've heard otherwise mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, it's all really, really compelling stuff. There's sort of a bass burble. That's kind of how I can describe it, like a like a really wide note uh, that sort of moves down into the pedal point riff. And, you know, we sort of play out um, on familiar territory with her before the chorus comes back as well. And, you know, the song gallops. And, yeah, then we get that more discordant, typical guitar solo, which I agree with you, Jason. It's not as interesting as the bluesier middle one, but still it's kind of vintage, you know, young Kirk. Yeah, that well, that studio effect to go back to that. And Mm. I call it that because when I was learning the song, um, I went out and bought the tab books and stuff. And and, uh, even those didn't really know what to call that. that. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, and you never there's there's never a replication of it live. They just kind of like no. have a little drum fill there. Why do you think that they cut the song down live? Because they pretty much exclusively play the five minute version. Uh, you know, I think it's just an effort to kind of keep the energy up, sure. and it, it might be that uh, that they don't they didn't like it down the road. Uh, yeah, they, maybe maybe it's a double guitar solo thing. But I guess James probably can do that, but yeah, well. When you listen to it, I, I, the last time I heard them play the entire thing live was during that 30th birthday celebration. Right, right. And uh, it, yeah, the solo wasn't ju- it wasn't quite as exhilarating without the other stuff. And live, the there's just a lot of dissonance and a lot of notes going on with mm-hmm. James's part, and he doesn't go clean with it, so it's still it's still distorted. And it's I mean it's it sounds much better on the album than live. I don't think it's a live friendly kind of part to the song yeah yeah. so it doesn't bother me that they cut it out but i'm really glad that it's on the album because it's a great couple minutes of music oh my god yeah and you know it's a it's a staple uh, of their live set pretty much unfortunately i didn't see it in birmingham but they've played it 537 times uh you know they debuted it um in new york 1983 april 22nd they last played it uh yesterday at the time of us recording this they played it in hamburg march 29th 2018 i'm sure they're going to continue play it for the rest of their career um any any closing thoughts on four horsemen jason well like we were talking about with that solo on the mm-hmm. outro I, I love the beginning uh, that kind of stair steppy yeah. working down the strings but the solo itself i mean it feels uh if i can be so bold like kind of boring uh, yeah by, yeah 
it's it's just it's kind of like you know we took we came up with with four or five interesting parts and each of those parts just gets repeated you know eight or nine times Hmm. and uh so it's it's not one of my personal favorites and it's not the best solo on this album by far it's not even the best solo in this song no but (laughs) no but it it is definitely this whole album is just kurt dumping out his whole riff bag like his whole lick bag and and uh by the time he gets to horseman it's like I mean, he's already soloed for basically three minutes and hit the lights. So yeah. <laughs> there were, I don't know if there was too much left in the tank for it. Yeah, I know what you mean. And this era of just guitar soloing in general, it just seemed to be as fast as you go. Don't worry about phrasing. Don't worry about any sort of memorability. Just show off your technique. Just just, just have a bit of a, you know, just, just wank off on the fretboard. No one really cares. And, you know, obviously, <laughs> obviously Kirk will develop some incredible leads in this album and then, you know, ride the lightning you know how many good leads does he have on that record it's out of this world but uh but yeah, yeah. four horsemen is a is a masterpiece in my eyes really a fantastic metallica song please let us know in the comments below what you think of this song um please let us know also get in touch with me metallica at gmail.com the next song we're doing is frantic so if you've got any opinions on frantic good or bad if you hate frantic let me know uh i'll read out anything you give to me it's always good to get a you know variety of correspondence there um you know we just spoke about this song being played live i know you've seen the band a few times live have you seen this song live uh, I have seen the song live, yeah, and it was it was definitely the truncated version, right? Of course, for sure. Don't stop for nothing. It's supposed to be nothing. I'm taking down you know, whatever's in my way. Getting your pieces, shooting the light, sending the shivers up and down my spine. You know, today, you know, we're looking at Kill 'Em All. We're looking at a you know completely different type of Metallica. Like, what, what, what do you prefer personally, the more old school or that kind of alternative shit? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely an old school fan. I grew up with the band in the '80s, and you know, I, I at the risk of triggering some people, I'll, I'll freely admit that the Black Album is where I kind of felt like I got marginalized as a fan. Okay. So, okay. This is definitely my era and uh, what I love to listen to. For me, I don't know about for you, like, I just love what era this is coming from. And I love hearing the beginnings of the band and how raw it is and charming in some of its foibles production wise. As a, as a Metallica fan, I think Kill 'em All is something you always regard fondly as a release. Absolutely. You know, I used to think of um, Kill 'em All as being kind of the spark that lit the fuse. But, yeah. you know, when you get down to this song, Motor Breath, it's, it's kind of the big bang of the band. It's. Um, I hope I'm not stepping on your toes with the subject matter, but we know this is kind of the first song that reportedly James ever wrote. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I watched some of those shows about the history of the universe and they kind of roll back time and say all the matter that exists in the universe can be put back into this one particle. And that's kind of motor breath to me. This Uh, is where it all starts. uh, Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a highlight of the record. Terrific song. You know, one of the is it their shortest song at three minutes, eight seconds? Is there anything shorter? uh that's that's my understanding i think yeah. hardwired is 310 so it's uh-huh. just a little bit longer and i think this one keeps that crown yeah yeah and you know it just a track that i always return to and that intro riff um you know very simple the the single string coming in after the kicking drum intro but you know so powerful 
and despite its apparent simplicity you know it's something that's really addicting and it's got such a bite to it and i i i love that line i think you know it, it's so good that that's the first thing hetfield wrote because it's so creative and so comp- compelling like i just love the way it writes absolutely and i think you know if you if you're someone who played guitar you can kind of put yourself in that mindset yeah. and remember sitting in your bedroom as a teenager trying to write that first song hear the first song in this you can you can because the riff is kind of james dragging his finger across the string in a very artistic way you know it's not there's not purpose in it but just the technique that he's using i don't see very often in music that riff is great and then into i guess kind of the main riff the sort of the the thrashy riff the breakdown riff what what do you think of that I, I just think it's great all along. You know, the, the, the what this song maybe lacks for sophistication, it, it certainly makes up for an authenticity and energy. And um, yeah, if, you, if you're if you're a fan of Metallica, how could you not love this moment in time? Uh, what, what do you think throughout the track of James's vocals? Uh, better than no life to leather let's put it that way yeah 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 there's the odd sort of like you know pubescent burst or whatever at the end of these vocals but for the most part it's quite melodic and commanding and another cool thing i think about this song is is thematically um it's kind of a predecessor to fuel um yeah you kind of hear the same concepts coming out of him so uh yeah it's just you know it's last time i was on here we did house the jack build and we spent you know a good 15 minutes really dissecting that song Mm -hmm. and going through the different layers and the effects in the studio and the themes of the lyrics and you know i think we even talked about the talk box solo and and what we thought of that and you know we we really kind of did that just to determine whether or not we thought that was a good song and then you come to a song like this which is as simple and straightforward as they come and there's just the magic to it that you don't even have to dissect it's just yeah. right there in front of you and it's just great yeah it's self-evident it's breathless you know the the two four break the it's it's very hypnotic it's very proggy um it's quite you know off center i think and it just adds to the sense of adrenaline that pumps through the song and we have the you know i love this thing like metallica no metallica would never do this and you know no band really does this in the modern age but the solo key change like just kicking up as a solo kicks in like it's such a kind of gimmicky thing to do but it really works oh it's just cool as could be yeah Yeah, it it really gives some flavor to that section of the song what do you think of kirk solos on the mo breath uh well you know we we kind of all know that he's just kind of replaying mustaine's part so there's a little bit of variation in there but you know i and i love dave mustaine's playing i think he's an incredible shredder but i've always preferred kirk i think he's got a little more musicality to him yeah uh, you know, Mustaine to me is kind of like, you know, I, I envision a down power line and the sparks are coming out of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, the road crews back there putting up a sign that says stay a thousand feet back. And, um, you know, Kirk may not quite have that, but I, I, I've always felt his planes a little more musical and a little more fluidity to it, especially during this era of the band. And I love it. I, I yeah. think uh, he pulls it off perfect. Yeah, that's not to say that, you know, Dave Mustaine didn't go on to be quite a good guitar soloist, like, you know, Holy Wars and certain stuff I've rushed in peace, like Lucretia, like, you know, there's certain things he plays that I don't think maybe Kirk could have gone with, but there is just kind of a, I don't know, uh, you know, a heroicism about Kirk to a certain extent that Dave never really had. I think you're quite right. He was quite loose and unbridled. Yeah, you know, I like the solo. I think... Kirk's use of wah is really good, especially in the opening section. It really feels like a deep breath being taken, uh, like Damage Inc. as well, certain sections of that. Um, you know, it's noodly, it's kind of showy-offy, it's kind of like, you know, 
the Bay Area scene, everyone's fucking, you know, going crazy up there. But song's very simple, you know, it sort of goes back into the chorus. We actually get the um, verse riff played solo as well. We get a few other sections put in. But for a three minutes, eight song, it's just a real run and gunner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, I think it's a good example of a song that uh, where the sum is kind of greater than the parts. And they've played this live, you know, many, many times, 312 times live. Yeah, how how cool is that? That the That's first crazy. song you ever wrote uh, not only makes it on a record, but yeah. stays in your set list pretty yeah. recurrently for your whole career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to the point that you played it, you know, very very recently. Last played it February twenty eighth, twenty nineteen. So about yeah. a month ago uh, in El Paso, Texas. Yeah, of course. But um, you know, everyone wants to see this song. Um, you know, it is a treat of a number, and it is crazy that they put it in there. I think you know this was from. I think they played this at the first gig that James it was kind of the breakthrough gig because it's the first one that. James ever sung and played guitar and that was you know they debuted it in that performance and it's just such a died in the wall early Metallica tune yeah I actually saw it looks like the first time they played it was at a high school yeah um, which is <laughs> it's just amazing right I mean <laughs> uh, they're playing at a high school and then 35 years later they're playing it in stadiums it's just just incredible yeah yeah that was a Don Haskins center apparently yeah a, a, a crazy crazy and you you seeing them live then in general um, how was that experience it's surreal I, I you know I haven't seen them since uh, 1989 so it's literally been 30 years for me um and you know it 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 was a great night i got to take my family with me and i got to take um my three sons and two of my daughters Mm. who are all older now than i was the last time i saw the band and um you know they're they're what i would call casual metallica fans but it's just so infectious when you're there at that show that um it, it was a great night it was a special night and one that you know for me as a as a parent you know, the irony was that my parents would have done anything they could to keep me away from a Metallica show. Um, and now it's a family event, and it, it, yeah. was, it was just fantastic. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Yeah, we um, you know recently had Russell on, uh, speaking about the North Carolina show. And uh, I'm always curious, I hope that Metallica release it in some sort of Netflix tie-in. H- how was the Jim Brewer show? You know, it, it was okay. It was... Mm. Um, I think the <laughs> don't biggest, let me down. It's only well, okay. It's long, know, right? Apparently, it goes for like a couple of hours. It it is long. I think the, the it was a really choppy feeling because he would come out and he'd do five ten minutes, mm. and then he would disappear, and they would just play music, and they'd come uh, back okay. for another five minutes. And I, you know, I'm I'm not sure the concept is totally worked out still. Mm. Um, I I know a lot of people would rather see an opening band, and that was my instinct as well. But once it was there, it, it just it kind of felt like, hey, we're here to celebrate Metallica. And so I was cool with it. It, it mm-hmm. just felt like the night was about the band. Um, so, yeah, you know, it was it, it was enough to to pump everybody up and, and build that anticipation. And, I, I you know, I think the, the, the big surprise for me, um, just from the moment we entered into the arena, there was mm-hmm. just an electricity in the air that I haven't felt at a live event in a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and you could tell there you know, the fact that the majority of the crowd was probably middle-aged, mm-hmm. um, but it felt like everybody felt like kids again. So it, it was really cool. Yeah. And, I mean, the show itself, at uh, the risk of recapping the whole thing, like, briefly, uh, you know, I mean, the worldwide tour, of course, has been dynamite uh, so far. So unsurprisingly, the band is so consistent. Like, h- how was the evening? Uh, it was great. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you, you watch a lot of the hardwired tours leading up to going to the show, but... Those, you know, videos online just don't do justice to how it feels when you're actually there at the show. Um, we got a great set list. We got Whiplash. We got Fight Fire with Fire. 
Um, just some really cool deep cuts for some of us older fans. I thought they did a really nice job of balancing the old and the new. Um, I, I, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of hardwired. I think despite the fact that I think only about 60% of that album is good. Um, they played five songs off that record and, and they all came off pretty good. Here comes revenge was a little bit rough. I love the riff in that song, but I think it was kind of a lost a little bit of energy during that song, but Mm -hmm. otherwise, I mean, you know, it's just the experience you go to so many shows where you're kind of there watching the band metallic always feels like you're just a part of the show so um it, it, yeah yeah i don't know what to say about it other than it was just a memorable night that I, um i know i'll never forget it yeah i know what you mean like no matter where you are james is like the fucking you know one of those seeing eye paintings it always feels like he's looking at you and like acknowledging you and did he have that sort of chintzy James moment towards the end where he speaks to the crowd and talks about like parents and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, w- it was definitely the pop ahead uh, yeah, attitude. Yeah. Um, a, a much different feel than the last time I saw them. <laughs> the damaged you know, justice tour. Yeah, that wouldn't. Have, that would not yeah, have yeah, yeah. Yeah, they don't. Not quite the same fury on stage <laughs> that they had back then. But it it really just ultimately didn't matter. It was just the experience of being there and. You know, the community and, and feeling like you were part of a group. And, it, you know, it was just great. So going back to the song then, um, as always, as we do, follow the show at Metallica Pod, open up to you guys. Uh, what do you think? And a brief tweet or two of Motor Breath. Metallica Bible saying, great tune. I've seen them perform it live in Dublin in 2009. It made me appreciate the energy of the song a lot more. MTI saying, one of my favourites on Kill em All. Always felt like there was a little more melody and hookiness to it, especially vocally compared to the rest of the album. Um, Jeremy, I would say that's fair, right? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, definitely, again, one of those songs that when you hear it live, it just takes on a whole new, um, just a whole new meaning and a whole new uh, aura about that song than you hear on the album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not to say there aren't vocal performances on here that really fit the song. I think Jump in the Fire is excellent as well. And pretty much every song that we've covered on Alpha Talic on Kill 'Em All, I've always sort of gushed about. Like, you know, I do really, really love this album. Metal Militia we covered recently, which is, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe my most forgettable song on Kill 'Em All, I'd say. But um, Motor Breath is certainly one that I adore. You know, it is a it is a terrific fucking song. So going back to the Twitter, um, Robert saying probably their best non-cover punk song. Those people who tell you not to take chances, they are all missing on what life's about. You only li- live once, so take care of the chance. Don't end up like the others. Same song and dance. Pretty cool refrain. Yeah, Robert, I completely agree, actually. I always took that for granted, but reading it on that tweet and going back and listening, it's quite some effective, you know, young James Hetfield philosophy. Like. Yeah, and I, and I think you're right. It's it's you you got to keep in mind how old he was at that point. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny. The lyrics are, they're almost a little bit um, quaint at this point. But, hmm. uh, yeah, it was almost kind of like he was four or five years ahead of where the band actually was at that point and celebrating the lifestyle that they were just starting to experience. the history uh, as well with yourself and and the scene at that time like you mentioned iron maiden before and judas priest and i have to say 
as I mentioned before, me getting into Kill 'Em All, me getting into this sort of fresh stuff, I do like this music kind of for just what it is and how it is something in a in a genre. It's just heavy guitars and really kind of dangerous playing, exciting songs. And you know, uh, Dokken I've been listening to quite a lot. I mentioned him on the show before. That was the first band I've ever seen. I mm. saw Dokken open for Dio. Mm. George Lynch is crazy. I, I do like Dokken, but I have to say because of Metallica. Yeah. They came out kind of against all the glam stuff. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was a it was a conscious bam, you know, and it was a, then it was an us against them. It was here's the glam guys and here's the hardcore guys, and that's that's how it was back then. It was uh, it wasn't so much like today as all these different musics to get into and genres and all that. It, I mean, it was like that, but it was a little bit more uh, people identified more with music than uh, they do nowadays. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Like you see the the fashions that I know you indulged in. <laughs> well, see, there were people with bandanas on their legs and all that stuff, and leather yeah. spikes and all that stuff. And, and I did live in Southern California, so there was plenty of that. Mm. But uh, but then that was the thing. Metallica said, "Hey, we're just we just wear on stage what we walk around in." You know, they weren't into the span. Actually, though, I guess James was in the very original. He did have a couple uh, spandex pants and all that, but he got out of it. So, uh, jump in the fire. Then, when was the first time you heard this? Uh, well, okay, after I got, you know, Ride the Lightning, I went out and I remember going to the record store and looking through and there's Kill 'Em All, turn the turn the album over and there's those the guys on the back just looking ugly as ever, just looking <laughs> so serious and mean, which was out of nowhere. I mean, it was just that this kind of music was kind of out of nowhere for me. I mean, of course, Motorhead was a little bit was influential and all that, but uh, just the intensity of it and the aggressiveness of it and the seriousness of it and you know they weren't singing about uh girls and partying it was it was metallica and there's no build up here it goes straight into the main riff a riff that i actually love a riff that obviously has mustaine's fingerprints all yep. over it it's a very spidery addictive riff right yes i mean they kind of just keep i mean and again I've, I've told you i'm not like really a big musical sure. guy you can talk to me about all that stuff but they kind of—it's kind of repetitive in a way. But it's—it's a—it's a fun song. It's a great dance. I mean, you just really get into that, and then mm. the great chorus. There's so much classic stuff about it, but there's so much artistry about it as well. I think uh, Cliff, uh, Clint, sorry, Cliff, yeah, is excellent um, in as the bass. Oh, yeah, yeah. In early oh, yeah, on, you can totally hear the bass in there. Yeah, 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 and he's not just playing bass notes. It's McCartney-esque how he's sort of catching and releasing and working with the drums and the, the riff as well that i mentioned it's quite mercurial it'll shift it's not that repetitive and um it's so cool to me i don't know if you I, I guess you feel the same way that uh mustaine was such an architect early on with metallica and then went on to do his own great thing oh yeah 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 i i, I mean i megadeth's probably my um my third favorite of the big four i, mm. I like oh, really? is the number third. two there okay who's who's second St- uh, Slayers too. Slayer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Makes yeah. Sense. I do. I'm. Uh, they've got some amazing albums. I mean, uh, they're you know, but uh, I couldn't. Uh, I mean, I don't mind Mustaine singing. Uh, I like a couple of the songs, but I never really got into Megadeth. But no. I, I appreciate his influence on Metallica. Yeah, huge influence. I mean, he pretty much brought this song. Uh, the original. Yeah, that was his song. Yeah, his original lyrics and content, which apparently I didn't realize this. Uh, dealt... They're right in front of me. Yeah, they They're dealt. Horrible. They dealt with sex. Um... <laughs> which I want to defend him in a way because that wasn't out of the blue back then. I mean, Scorpions, mm-hmm. AC/DC, Judas Priest even had plenty of songs with sexual references and all that, so it wasn't unheard of. But I think, uh, I don't know what the decision was made, but Metallica at some point said, okay, we're not doing any songs about girls or partying. 
That's that's the thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, they did keep one line from it. I, I'm looking at there's there's a job to be done, and I'm right. the one. Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Hetfield's lyrics said a bit of a departure, uh, revolving around people being damned to hell. Yeah. It's kind of like uh it's kind of like a devil down in hell saying, you know, you, you it's almost like in a way I'm looking through it it's like you are evil and this is where you need this is where you're going to be and I'm yeah. going to take you down here. Yeah, 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 you exactly. Know? Kind of kind of uh, inviting you off the straight path, uh tempting you as a huckster and it is just it's classic, really. I mean, it's kind of cliche that it's about the devil and fire and brimstone and stuff, but it's so badass the way it works. Yeah, it yeah, operates course, yeah. so cleanly. Yep. Well, I'm just looking at the old lyrics, though. I mean, when he said, because I do, I have listened to the, uh, the uh, what, the power metal demo where mm. uh, James James sings these lyrics. Oh. You know, when they say, now I take off my pants. I mean, God, <laughs> it's just cringe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and James is vocal as well. It's so... There's something about the vocal tone on Kill 'Em All that's fascinating. It's so high pitched. Yeah. It's so in this weird harmonic vacuum, and you know, fire, like you know, the way it kind of yep. crackles and it has an effect. Jump in the fire, yeah, <laughs> and the backing vocals as well. Um, the way they come on Van Halen esque, they work very well uh, to complement. And the song is just that sort of Kill 'Em All mold, isn't it? It's just. Great riff after great riff. You know, the songs on this great album, riff after great riff. really, really original, I think. They were coming with a lot of predecessors, a lot of influence already, but they carved out a niche pretty much instantly in their own flavor. Yes, they, they put it all together so right. Mm. I mean, there was all kinds of things out there that were bands like this. They had a couple songs like this. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, punk, with especially with the Misfits. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, look and- at Metal Mania. Like, they stick out on that. Yeah, 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 it's just, they just put it all together right. Yeah. And uh, we get a lot of Kirk uh, soloing. He does sort of an intro lick to lead yeah, us into the like, verse. There's almost like three solos in yeah, this song. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> uh, it, the second one is kind of bluesy in nature, kind of more standard Kirky at times, double stops, long sort of derivative lines that are, that are okay, you know. But the problem is I'm watching a lot of Guffrey Govan recently. I don't know if you're aware of that guitar player, British guitar player. No. Yeah, he's a very accomplished, he does like G3 with Steve Vai and stuff like that. He's uh, with the aristocrats, people might be aware of this instrumental trio. But yeah, very, very good guitar player. I've kind of been watching him all weekend, so sort of listen to this song. It was a little, but again, it's of its time, you know, it plays that. And the final solo. The final solo is yeah. amazing. Yeah, very cool. Uh, the sort of open note single string idea and the song ramps up. I love that bit. Yeah, I love just the fact that they said, hey, let's put in another amazing solo. Mm. You know, let's just, we're, they, they never did anything standard. They're craftsmen. They just go over every line. They just think about every part of their song. Yeah, they're they're professionals. Yeah, um, it kind of like hit the lights really, which just ends with a big solo. And that's kind of what you did back then. You didn't sort of construct these complex, like one like numbers. You just sort of, you know, had Kirk go wild there. And it, it, it does work. And uh, yeah, I do really dig this song. They got one part in the lyrics here is uh, living your life as me, I am you, you see. Hmm. I mean, you can't really hear the lyrics so much in no. the song as, as, as well as, you know, like in the later albums. But no. uh, yeah. Yeah, it's really difficult actually to hear the lyrics, uh, and I defy anyone to listen to them and transcribe them <laughs> quite correctly. Like you kind of make up your own in your head. Yeah, because you know, it yeah. right. it's kind of like you're being advised to this underworld. It kind of plays into the whole burbly nature. But yeah, um, it's a uh, it's it's a really good track, and I know some people maybe 
I don't know, are sort of derisive towards this stuff. They feel it's a little dated, but that's kind of why I like it as well. I think that yeah, informs it. it, you know, because it's just wonderful capsule. Oh, what is it? Um, okay, one thing I note on this song, um, what is it when you like kind of when they do the when they're going into the he's going into the sec- first the second solo and you can hear the strings like they're kind of wiping their fin- their nails yeah, on the strings. Yeah, he's, like, he's, 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 yeah, it's interesting what happens there. He's sort of just chugging behind before he gets into the main solo, but not really soloing. Yeah, he's kind of droning on the note. I noticed that as well. It's but they're in- doing like dun 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 dun. You know, mm. you can hear the like yeah. it's almost like he's rubbing his finger on the string. Yeah, but it's and, interesting. I no, like it, it. no, it is. It is, and you know, Hepfield as ever, or should I say, Mustaine. The guitar parts are reliably interesting. Um, the verse that he sings over is great. It has this sort of dead string mute that I really like. That just makes it a little bit more tenser, a little bit more energetic. Uh, the production of the guitars, as sort of you know, slightly thin, scooped as they are, uh, are still incredibly compelling. I love the the riff that they solo over. Um, which comes in on the third solo as well, is again sort of a dirgy thing. It's not going to reinvent the wheel. It's not the most memorable Metallica riff ever, but uh, it gets the job done for the top layer. It, it's kind of an anthemic uh, chorus, you know, sunk like yeah. you're inviting the crowd. So come on, jump in the yeah. fire with us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it feels built for the stage, doesn't it, to a certain extent? Yeah, yeah, which is funny because I did, I was just, I was kind of looking into stuff on YouTube just before this, and I saw a thing where they hadn't played this since 84 for 20 years after 84. Hmm. Like it was, I saw this thing where Lars, they were kind of relearning it. And Lars is talking about it's a very funny video, actually. But it's like from they last played it 84 and then for 20 years and then they played it again in 2004. So they apparently weren't that big into it. But uh, I think it was James and Kirk wanted to bring it back. And uh, they did it at the Orion Festival, right, as well as Dahan. Sure, sure, yeah, sure, yeah. Which is, uh, yeah, another cool version. There's, there's a, a few cool live versions online, actually. Uh, they played the Record Store Day. I think it was Yeah, I, I just watched that. Yeah, that yeah. was pretty good. That was good. That was pretty good, actually. And they tuned the song down, I don't know if you noticed, when they do it live. Uh, all I know is it sounded good. Like yeah, it. yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it's in D standard as opposed to the sort of earlier uh, live performances of that. But yeah, 91 times it's been performed. It was first performed in Anaheim, uh, March 14th, 1982. Most recently in Berkeley, as I mentioned, Rasputin's. That was April 16th, 2016. Um, Jim, any, hmm. any any closing thoughts on Jump Into The Fire? Jump Into The Fire? So they, they haven't played it on, at all on, on this tour again? Hasn't been played on the, the worldwide jaunts, no. Alright, maybe they'll break it out pretty soon. Who knows? Yeah. Okay. Um, on this, on the Jump of the Fire, uh, it's just it's a it's a good song. I like it. I mean, it's it's not not something that you just like like for Horsemen or anything, but it's a mm. I lo- I I think it's a great song off the album. Yeah, and that's all. As always, I reached out to the good people at Metallica Pod on Twitter at Metallica Pod. So yeah, um, just ask them what people thought of the songs. Pim Jickin says his least favorite on Kill 'Em All, but wouldn't mind hearing it live again. Which, uh, yeah, we were just saying, would be awesome to see that uh, return to the set. Luke Sineji saying, cool song. I find Kill 'em All gets a bit samey, but this breaks it up. Monster Mash Michael saying, super catchy stuff. One of the funnest tracks on the album. I think It's I definitely think, fun. Yeah, yeah, it's a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, as, as kind of most of, pretty much all of Kill 'em All is really enjoyable. Yeah, but, but I mean, like, Four Horsemen, I don't say it's fun. It's intense, it's heavy, oh, yeah. but... 
Yeah, but Jump of the Fire is kind of like they. It's kind of a fun song. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, like hey, let's lighten, let's lighten the mood a little bit. Even though we're singing about hell and demons, yeah, let's lighten the the, the mood a little bit. And then they, you know, go into anesthesia and then you know, whiplash and yeah, 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 yeah. Hit the lights has a kind of lot of fun about it, a lot of buoyancy. Sure, um, that I think yeah. shares shares with this. Um, Joe Haddock saying jumpy, fiery, mustainy. I love it. Um, and finally, John saying love the outro solo from Kirk. Love is playing on this album. Sure. So uh, yeah, let us know in the comments what you think down below about the song Jump in the Fire. Burton is someone that definitely needs a bit more grounding in the certain mythos of Metallica, you know, an incredible human being, um, you know, a wonderful, wonderful instrumentalist and obviously anesthesia pulling teeth in brackets, pulling teeth. This is the first instrumental of Metallica. It's on Killer Mall. It's in the middle. It's a weird sort of explosive prog. I mean, we're going to, you know, we're going to get into it note by note shortly, but I just, I, <laughs> I just, I just want to kind of spend a little time just, um, you know, I've got quite a collection here of, of sort of metallica books and stuff and i found some really nice passages about cliff so maybe stuff you haven't heard so we're going to get into that shortly but just before i do john um cliff burton as a player to you what, what does he mean oh um as, as i said earlier like listen to metallica since i was a little kid so obviously been influenced by him from one point to another classically trained obviously again turned me on to things like that so it shows where it can come through in like rock playing and stuff like if you if you're listening and you're getting lessons or whatever it's worth going get classical lessons you're never not going to need to know that shit cliff burton as a player fantastic yeah yeah and i mean you know it's crucial he wasn't just uh, to quote another bass player that i know we both adore john he wasn't just a billy sheehan you, you know in a certain way he wasn't not, not that billy sheehan isn't a good songwriter but billy sheehan the technician you know no. billy, billy sheehan from mr big one day by the way i'm gonna do a mr big podcast um i think when i'm older i think they're one of those bands that needs like the recognition they're they were such a fucking good band i think the first two albums especially um you know lean into it etc it kind of you know just incredible, yeah, incredible. I'm, I'm i'm gonna eat. i'm gonna be the first person to uh suggest my song for that podcast yes. <laughs> It's like I do the alphabet again, but this time it's Mr. Big. It's yeah. like this guy won't stop. Like, <laughs> you know, I could do loads though. You could, you know, I think a lot of people could do loads. But um, you know, Cliff, it's it's endless. It is endless. You know, that's the beauty of it. Cliff, you know, he's a virtuoso like Billy, but like he's a pioneer. You know, he's an artist. And um, I just want to quote um a little bit from Birth School Metallica Death, the, your constant companion in this podcast. I had Paul Brannigan on the show recently. Um, Kerrang editor, guy who co-wrote this book, great guy. Anyway, this is from the book, and this is concerning sort of Burton's upbringing. It says, quote, um, on May 19th, 1975, Scott Burton, who was um, Cliff's brother, was the victim of a cerebral aneurysm. The 16-year-old was taken to hospital but later died. Needless to say, the effect on the family unit was both searing and immediate. Friends of Cliff, the insular and quietly defiant remaining son, observed that although the death of his older brother affected him in a profound manner, this loss was something about which he rarely spoke. 
Instead, it seems that the enigmatic 13-year-old opted to give voice to his grief in the form of actions, actions which, as befits the cliché, spoke louder than the words he chose to rarely utter. Although Burton had begun playing the bass guitar and prior to that piano before the tragedy that befell his family, it seems that the loss of a sibling served to focus his mind on the task at his fingers. He studied not only the popular bass players of the day, musicians such as Rush's Geddy Lee and Black Sabbath's Geezer Butler, but also the scales and notations heard in Bach and Beethoven, as well as the disciplines of Baroque music. As his talents grew, the young player would practice up to six hours a day, his abilities sufficient to outgrow the tutelage of more than one music teacher. So, you know, we have within this kind of, you know, this genesis of Cliff here, there's something quite tragic, you know, the the passing of of his close brother. And I I remember reading in Back to the Front, which is the Metallica sort of uh, Master of Puppets coffee table book. There was there was a fan talking about how he he complimented Cliff on on a hat he was wearing. And Cliff was like, oh, thanks. It was my brothers who like passed away. And, you know, really kind of nice interaction there. And, you know, to go on to that obsessive, you know, practicing, which I'm sure you're familiar with, John, the sort of the the woodshedding that that he was exhibiting there. It it shows there was a remarkable talent from the off, really. There was real potential there. The uniqueness of Cliff, really, I think, is something something that shines through. And, you know, the guy is astonishing revelation. And the song begins bass solo take one. I quite like that it starts with just someone just saying that and it plays. Yeah, I I quite like that. Sort of brings it back down to earth. It's always nice to... uh hear other bands in the studio like however cliche it is people uploading like video logs and shit of them in the studio mm-hmm. i still think it's great like brings them back to earth as i said and sort of humanizes the whole mm. them being so high up there as gods of rock and shit <laughs> yeah well i mean i mean back then you know kill em all was was very sort of early days and like it, when I, i've been listening to this song obviously endlessly over the past week or so just really kind of hammering what, it what's your favorite song off kill em all my favorite probably motor breath I think I think yeah. I, I I love I love the riffs. I think it's a very original song. I think the solo is really compelling as well. But what, what about yourself? Fair play. Um, I don't know, man. I, because being um, in like some sort of random covers band when I was learning at school, mm. um, we always used to go through like playing shit like Master of Puppets. And then I remember um, the singer at the time, uh, Neil Johnson. He was like, ah. Oh, I love this song, Am I Evil? Oh yeah! <laughs> so we started playing, we started playing Am I Evil at, um, at like all the school concerts and that. Oh. <laughs> yes, I, remember, I am. Um, one time, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one time I was playing drums at one of these little school concerts, mm. and um, it was like the first time that the drums were on a stage riser. Right. So I was playing away, like we're about, we're like ten seconds into it, um, and the bass drum just fell off the riser. Oh no. <laughs> Fucked the yeah, fuck the whole Rock thing. And roll, man. Shut the curtains. Literally, <laughs> the whole school was laughing. This, but I was just sort of sat there like shit. <laughs> that's stardom, man. That's, that's the first taste. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I, yeah pro- probably I am evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. Am I evil? Sorry. Am I evil? Yeah, yeah. Which I mean. Yeah, it was on a, I think it was on a Kill 'Em All. Uh, sorry, Creeping Death single originally or something like that. But yeah, the, yeah, because right. it, it was. Out- Added on um, to the re-release, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, the Diamond Head. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, the Diamond Head cover, of course. But when you think of the album, when you think of you know songs like Motor Breath, songs like you know Am I Evil, Four Horsemen, whatever, Anesthesia really sticks out, doesn't it? It's it's a lot proggier than the rest of the album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the bass tone alone, it's just it's just dripping with reverb and like obviously he's slaying the uh, slaying the big muff and the wah. Just yeah, it's just like overall the bass tone just sort of engulfs the whole 
um, I don't know whether you're listening through headphones or whatever. It just sort of puts mm. your head in a little box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all you can hear is just it's interesting because it, it's such a showcase, really, for Cliff. And it's great that we get this fuzz bass and a kind of classic, you know, retreating arpeggio set. Do 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 do. It's very hypnotic, actually, and it's kind of a lot of the song gets its power from being anchored around those kind of octave bass shifts. Like, you know, it's played with yeah. those kind of, you know, that sense of a kind of uh, a build there. But I, I love its exploratory nature. It reminds me a little bit of Guthrie Govan that when you first hear it. Yeah, they, I think that's what drew me to like it. With, yeah. um, you know, if it was if I heard it for the first time, obviously, I never really cared for it when I was younger. But like hearing it again, like after you requested me to, you know, do it on a podcast, mm-hmm. it's, it was quite refreshing just hearing it because I, I would have heard it as sort of like literally just a mishmash of riffs that he jammed on or just a couple of little licks that he wanted to play in the same mm. key or same songs as one of these other ones but yeah as, as you say listening through it it's like it just flows doesn't it as, mm. as you say like a guthrie govan mm-hmm. piece mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah like uh, when you look at guthrie it's suddenly very clinical in a way even yeah. though it's, it's still very human and you know it, it just it, when <laughs> there's there's rarely two words in rock that will usher as many eye rolls as bass solo like you know it's just it's just true and like this is coming from a guy who you know i I love this sort of shit like you know i eat it up but i understand but i think this is so much more than that you know okay the end of the song the drums come in and it becomes a bit more classic you know he's laying down a rhythm yeah. on top but even that she... ends with some mad sounds that he's conjuring from yeah that uh, sort of halfway through that last bit i think it's like like th- three minutes on or something yeah um just sort of a build uh and he's just sort of like sliding and bending up and it, it just sounds like um sounds like the build up to one of the solos in a thunder and lightning uh thin lizzy song oh right oh, it's, it's interesting, interesting you mentioned that actually because i was watching them i don't know if you know america um metallica on this stadium tour at the moment um you know they're fucking yeah. sl- slaying america and one of the cool things they're doing which i think is so good is if you're at the concert they give you like a code and you can live stream like um, <laughs> um, them like warming up and shit and like obviously oh, that's wicked. people have put it on youtube and they're really fucking good and just the other day actually james was playing cold sweat by finn lizzy which is off that thunder and lightning oh, album true. it was the it was the oh yeah yeah it's so i mean i love finn lizzie that again finn lizzie another one i could do a podcast on easily but, I mean, <laughs> so easy. yeah 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 oh man yeah right. you'd have so many people to do it with as well oh people yeah because i mean everyone loves finn lizzie like that was one of the things that i found with finn lizzie was when i when i my dad like introduced to him when i was quite young and i always really liked them obviously they're great but i was always like oh it's kind of a dad band even though they're awesome and then i remember seeing like literally the same day i saw axel rose and James Hetfield like rocking Finn Lizzy shirts, like, <laughs> and I was like, are they just a cool band? I didn't realise. I was like, you know, but I mean, obviously they they, they play to those kind of you know harmonising strengths there. Classic, classic, good songwriting oh, yeah. as well. But you know, getting back to Anesthesia as a whole, really, I love not only the classical aspirations it has, but the the modern inclinations, the use of that wah early on, that wah. Yeah. Uh... Oh, I can't even remember the uh, the melody, but like mm. he, he just does, he does like the four notes. It's a dun 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 there's like a standalone video of a uh, anesthesia and it's just like even from the start he's like doing the little arpeggiated 
you know, arpeggiating notes, and then in between of he's just doing like a mad little trill. Yeah. Between between all of them, though, he's just obviously yeah, yeah. Go, going off on one. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen that, and uh, you know, Cliff is this absolute genius, which I think it's so good we have this song because I think maybe other than any other song, arguably a Ryan as well, but I think you know more. <laughs> I mean, a Ryan is a masterpiece, obviously yeah, as well, yeah. but uh, I think a Ryan's actually a lot better than this song, even though this is great. But I think I think a Ryan just is maybe perfection musically Metallica for me. I think a Ryan, I think it's exactly what I want from Metallica's mm. music, and you rarely get. And I think Cliff that's a was, fair comment. Cliff was yeah, I think in a certain sense, Cliff was central to that. But I mean, you know. Cliff was this genius, really. And just to turn back quickly to the book, to the Birth School Metallica book, Dave Mustaine, who is a figure that, you know, I adore, a certain era of Dave Mustaine I adore, kind of late 80s, early 90s, Megadeth, you can't get better than that in my eyes. Like, it's so, so good. But Dave Mustaine here, talking in the book, and here it says, Dave Mustaine recalls Cliff being what he describes as a star bass player, before (laughs) adding that the term alone, star bass player, should tell you something, because bass players are typically the bottom of the rock and roll food chain. Guitar players and singers are at the top, drummers in the middle, bass players at the bottom. I was once quoted as saying playing bass is to step up from playing the kazoo, which certainly pissed off a lot of bass players, but it's essentially true. Of course, there are exceptions to every rule, and Cliff was certainly not a glorified kazoo player. He was brilliant. The first time I saw him play, I knew he was something special, and so did Lars and James, which is why they began surreptitiously courting Cliff while Roy McGovney was still in the band. So obviously... You know, um, Ron McGovney. So Ron McGovney isn't what, long. What's this from? This is from Birth School Metallica. <laughs> it's really good, isn't it? It's really well written. <laughs> See, that's the trouble. It sounds really good, but it also sounds like a child's story, like a children's book. <laughs> the story of Cliff. Yeah. Of Cliff and Ron, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there is, there is, you know, obviously he was a superstar in a band of superstars. That's kind of what, of course what, he was. what, 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 what makes it crazy for me thinking about Metallica they all had their strengths really Lars was the PR guy to, to an incredible level his personality was like nothing else he knew how to sell the band James is obviously the genius songwriter back then Dave was you know a sort of pronounced solo player and to have Cliff involved as well like you know the meeting of the minds do you, do you still listen to a lot of Megadeth yeah because I am um, I heard you mention on one of your previous episodes um you like Marty Friedman as well Oh, Marty, Marty Friedman like is is God um, compared to Kirk Hammett. Yeah, he 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 was one he was one of my favorite guitarists for a long time. He's a like his his playing style. You know, I've I've had a podcast, I've had a playlist on recently of just Rust in Peace, Euthanasia, <laughs> uh, So Far So Good, So What. No, I know he doesn't play on that, but but that sort of era. But mostly Rust in Peace and Euthanasia. His solos on some of those songs are so original. They are so. It's some of the best, yeah. like '90s, like rock soloing I've heard. Like it's yeah. astonishingly no, consistent. But like for me as a guitar player, it's quite pivotal point listening to him. Like with my first job and just sort of listening to them with the uh, like with the head chef, just like loving the solos. Oh man, um, um, going home and trying to learn them and shit. Like, but we're here to talk about. Metallica, um, you know, primarily. Of course we are. And uh, Anesthesia Pulling Deep. I mean, let's talk about the title. I don't know where it comes from. What's your take on the title? You know, when you first put it out there that you wanted me to do this particular song, I was a bit jealous and a bit sort of like, ah, I kind of want to talk about one with a bit of story and lyrics. um, But yeah, I I have no idea. I I just thought, you know, I just think it's funny, like, whenever you see him do it live, like a couple of videos, you just see james come up and he's like you're ready to get your teeth pulled and right, like that's all right. that's all you hear from word wise and then mm. they just start playing it. yeah yeah i mean it's it's anything 
you know, it's not certainly not toothless. I should say, you know, there's some. It's 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 quite numbing though. So yeah, the sound is kind of, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose I can sort of see where it. Yeah, maybe that's where it comes from. Actually, that's quite interesting. Kind of a groan, almost. You know, kind of guttural sort of thing there. But yeah, I mean. It, Maybe he just named it when he was uh, at the dentist, and he was like, "Fucking hell, I know, I know what I'm going to call that yeah. instrumental piece." Probably, pro- probably, that's what I would say. Probably to that, but yeah, just the whole pull of this song really—it is a, a tale of two cities. You know, we get the sort of longer section, which is more of a conventional solo section, even though he's obviously keeping the rhythm with the drums. I, you know, for me though. I, I love the song, you know, entirely as a piece, but the first section, I think, I just find it so interesting to listen to. I love hearing where he goes. I love hearing the range of notes that he picks. It almost feels, feels a little flamboyant, but like we were saying earlier, when you actually sort of engage in it, it's such a moody, moving kind of piece. Yeah, it is. Um, I don't know. That, I think that's why I'm sort of leaning on the whole idea of maybe they just called it anesthesia because it's like, it's just him in his zone, you know. Yeah. I, from an earlier reference, you know, maybe sort of thinking about his brother or whatever, practicing mm. just in his own little world. He's just numbed his mind to everything else and he's just playing bass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, um, the you know, I want to hear as well, of course, everyone, what you think of this song. Please comment below. Let us know, you know, get us Twitter at MetallicaPod and stuff like that. A book that I've really been enjoying recently um, by Mick Wall and Malcolm Dome called Metallica, the Music and the Mayhem. It's kind of like a sort of book version of Alpha Metallica in a sense. It has all the songs and like a little review of every song. And the reviews are really good, actually. They're really sort of useful to just sort of look at what other people think of Metallica songs. And we seem to be on the same wavelength for a lot of it. And uh, they have quite a good review, actually, of Anisphesia, which I'll just read here. This is by um, Malcolm Dome. Um, getting into the song, he says that uh, a bass solo from Cliff on Kill em All was almost logical. And he made it work, bringing all his style, talent and individually to bear on a rumbling, roaring performance that leaps out of the speakers. Listening back now to this track, one is amazed at how vital and vibrant he sounds. And even when the rest of the band jump into the musical fire with him, he still dominates, leading from the front, a true general amidst a phalanx of foot troops. So, I mean, again, great writing, love, you know, great opinion as well. And, you know, it, it is that song, isn't it? Like, it kind of, it's just a wonderful, wonderful experience throughout. And it's... I just love how brazen it is on Kill em All. I, I love how it's just at the centre of this thing. You know, before it we have Jump in the Fire, after it we have Whiplash, in the yeah, middle. Yes, it, it is a strange like place in for its, you yeah. know, for its housing in the album. Mm-hmm. So today we are dealing with Whiplash, which, as I said before, is you know an incredibly important song uh, in in the lineage of Metallica and you know heavy music in general, in my opinion. And I just want to quote quickly as way of an intro 
from Joel McIver's book and Justice for All the Truth about Metallica, which was quite funny. I don't know if you heard, but Clint on Metal at Your Podcast recently dismissed this book entirely. And I think it's because Joel McIver is very harsh on Load and Reload, refreshingly so. Don't discard the book for all reason with that. It's still quite a valuable tome. And Joel, um, basically speaking in an early chapter, quote, One of the things on Kill Em All, Whiplash, had a notable effect on many listeners as the most consistently fast song on the record. One such listener was Steve Kirk, vocalist and bassist for Morbid Angel, who reasons, quote, The term extreme has changed over the years. What was extreme when I first heard it by no means is extreme today, but what really woke me up is when I heard Whiplash for the first time. That was a whole new thing to me when I first heard it. I think I was 12 years old. It made me want to play music. I would listen to a lot of Iron Maiden, which was great at the time, and then I heard Whiplash, and nothing else seemed to compare. Do you agree there, Rob? I... I feel like my memory of discovering Whiplash, I mean, I definitely had heard it on Kill 'Em All, I, but I, I don't remember actually like hearing it and it blowing my mind. But my memory is more of Live Shit, Binge and Purge, yeah. which um, came out when I was sometime in high school. And just, I mean, the, the live performance, uh, I, I, I think it was the Mexico City one. I mean, that really stands out. I mean, the Seattle one as well. With, yeah, it was... Uh, I mean, uh, that really stands out to me. And I mean, even when if I do get to hear it live, I mean, it really stands out as a an awesome, awesome thrash song. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, a really old song. You know, this is off the first album. This is the first single off the yeah, first, the first single. Yeah. So this is, you know, really ground zero in so many ways for Metallica. And I will say it unabashedly, unironically, I adore Kill 'Em All. It's not because it's kind of juvenilia and it's kind of rough sounding and whatever. I just think as a fucking, as an artifact of that time of guitar-led adrenaline rock, you know, this is, this is, this is top tier for that kind of 83 sort of stuff. Like, this, this, this is a classic to me. Uh, I mean, definitely. I, I mean, what else sound, I, well, I mean, I guess you could say the new wave of British heavy metal or whatever they definitely yeah. borrowed from that but uh I mean what else sounded like it in America at the time yeah and it's the most definitive in terms of as you said the new wave of British heavy metal because you know if you think of this sort of music what ultimately if you were to sort of just put everything heavy and distill it and I know there's going to be some exceptions to this I'm not saying this is a grand rule but most metal has chugging right it has open string chugging that forms riffs underneath it. Most rock does, you know, lots of blues does. Like, that's just an element of guitar writing. And I think you see in Whiplash maybe the ultimate weaponization of that chugging as a riff. Like, that to me is what makes it stand out ultimately. Yeah, I mean, uh, it definitely, it gets you going. And it, beca- I mean, yeah, you put it so eloquently. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it is a staple of music before, but after that uh, as well. I mean, even in the Metallica catalog, that open E just chugging along, like, uh, it's, it's, I don't know, it's groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of the context, well, before we jump into the criticism ourselves, Lars' interview, there was this great article in Metal Hammer that sort of celebrated the anniversary of Kill em All and went song by song and quoted all the band members. And Lars says, quote, On Whiplash, we tried to play as fast as we could and have it make as much sense as possible. One of the bands we were listening to who were an influence on Whiplash was Venom. That first record, 1981's Welcome to Hell, with songs like Angel Dust and Live Like an Angel, in brackets, Die Like a Devil, was a big inspiration. They took the energy and speed of what Motorhead were doing and made it a little more heavy metal. Motorhead had more of a punkish attitude. Venom need to get name-checked more when people talk about Metallica's early days. Um, Rob, I've got to plead the fifth on Venom. I, I, I know they're big deal in that, in that era, but I've never really listened to them. Oh, that's that's a tragedy. That a no, actually, I don't, I don't know if I've heard him either, so no. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll play a quick clip of Venom here. We're not going to appreciate it, but you know, in the future, you guys can listen to a bit of Live Like an Angel in brackets, Die Like a Devil. 
and Metallica were taking a lot of uh, you know their life on the road and who they were of a band at that time into the debut by having these elements that felt like live pieces and the intro to me certainly feels like that opening straight off the bat with the blaster guitar and then the seas parting as the drums march and it's like a mile wide right yeah, I, I I love that drum part, that little like rolling, you know, on the toms and the the double bass. I mean, it's it's awesome. It's a a sign of things to come. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It has that majesty. It has that you know grip on 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 the storytelling of the song. These pregnant silences that are punctuated with that stabbing guitar. And what do you make of the guitar tone on, on this song and the record in general? Uh, I mean, it's not my favorite. Uh, I I was introduced to Metallica through Injustice for All. Then I yeah. kind of went backwards. And the final one I got out of the old albums was I think Kill 'Em All. So I was used to the uh, newer albums at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it's fine. It it I don't I don't dislike it. It's just um, I prefer the uh, tones of the other albums better. I mean, it's raw. It's their first album. It's it served its purpose. It's uh, it just uh, kicks your ass and is in your face. I yeah. I mean, I have no no problems with it. Yeah, it's front and center. You know, with that chug, and I love the way that the riff changes direction while still maintaining those open notes. So the da na na da na da like the the way it sort of mixes it up to me, uh, you know, I always find quite breathtaking in its its breakneck appeal. It's such a groove too, as well. And one of the things, Rob, that I, that I love about Kill 'Em All, and you know, it's been said before on the show. I think Alex Finney said it a few years ago. Um, Kill 'Em All, in many ways, is almost a power trio record in the sense that you know the guitar is quite thin and you can really hear the bass and it charges through. What do you make of Cliff on this track? It actually is nice that you can hear the bass. I mean, mm. it was pointed like I've been listening to it all week, you know, like multiple times a day. And that is a nice feature of this album that, I mean, I've been listening to Kill 'Em All all the way through. And I mean, Cliff is front and center in a lot yeah. of these songs. And I mean, it's just so refreshing now. Like, he, he, like even today, it's, uh, I don't know, like Metallica kind of got away from that. It's uh, absolutely yeah, uh, oh, yeah, kind yeah, of interesting yeah. on the first album that they were able to have that. It's mad, isn't it? Compare it to Hardwired or you know Death Magnetic or you know even the Black Album. Like the bass was there in Kill 'Em All. Yeah, I mean they, I think they just like to bury Jason Newstead because uh, that's what they like to do. But yeah. I mean, yeah, even today, like you said, Hardwired, it's not even his front and center no. unless it's meant for that. You know, it's a bass part and like yeah, yeah, um, some sort of the bone or something mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. and. You know, another distinctive facet of this album is Hetfield's voice. I always say, throughout the recording of Killer Ball, he was permanently going through puberty mid-song, I think. Like, it's mad, his range. I, I can't I can't believe that he was able to hit those high notes. Like, yeah. just, it's such a different way of singing. I mean, I, I, I think he still hadn't found himself as a front man and, like, wasn't sure which direction he was going to go. Like, maybe, uh, I don't know, Merciful Fate. Is that the, the one with the high-pitched mm-hmm. thing? Or... Um, I mean, it it just it's so different and so so different. I mean, it's so it's so refreshing to hear now when you go back and listen to it. I mean, just the, those high pitched like screeches. It's uh it's pretty funny to hear. And in terms of the song content, you know, it's fascinating going through with an analytical eye throughout the lyrics. You or you or you or your or you've are you know directed towards this and you've come to see the show you make it real you need it oh so bad like the song hey, is it's like a, it's like a fan letter to the yeah. it's a love letter to the fans it's i mean it's reading through the lyrics it's corny you know with your leather and your spikes and mm-hmm. you know heads are bobbing around oh, yeah. it's hot as hell tonight i mean they're very basic but i mean it's not supposed to be a deep song it's supposed to be a, a song that you're banging your head to, yeah. to like, get in the mosh pit so i mean it, it's awesome i mean it's uh 
I, I gotta stop saying it's awesome, but no, 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 <laughs> it no, is like a real yeah. chugger. It's a real uh, thrash masterpiece. Yeah, and the, you know the melodies and the lyrics, rudimentary they might be, as you say. I think the song is not not saved, but certainly bolstered by the fact that there's just you know, a lot of guitar parts going through and a lot of changes and the way they invite the you know James screaming for the solo, etc. But just to go back to the lyrics, um, it, you know, it really is quite charming in the fact that it's unironic, I guess, for the most part, you know. And now it's taken on maybe a slight wry appeal, even though it's very authentic still, and that's not to downplay what it represents, but um, the. the song understands the catch and release of performing to a live audience so in the choruses and the dun 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 like in the gaps between those chords such pressure builds up doesn't it like and it's right and and i mean live they Mm. they lean into it live you know with the having the crowd sing with it and you know the crowd does whiplash i mean it it was built for live playing yeah yeah it It was written for live performances really was really was and the martial noise as well some brand recognition (laughs) <laughs> yeah. uh, that, do, what, do you know the story of why they weren't playing or weren't performing with the third verse in, up until recently? I mean, I, I couldn't find why they stopped doing the third yeah. verse, but they did bring it back in the last tour for whatever reason. Like they, they just, I don't know, like they weren't doing, they weren't performing that verse for some reason for years. And then it was like a big deal, like, you know, in researching the song, it's like, oh, they, with the third verse, Damn, it's like, yeah. oh, wow. Like, okay. But, That's some um, Grateful Dead shit right there. Like, I, I, I appreciate that. But yeah, I don't really understand that. But they do name check themselves in the fourth verse. Because uh, we're Metallica. What, how do you take that line? I mean, I, back then, it was probably like, we're so badass, we're Metallica, we're going to kick mm. your ass, like, whatever. But now, you know, you know, as you, I'm sure you know, they sing, because you're Metallica, sure, you know, they're sure. always, uh, you know, giving thanks to the fans. But, I mean, hey, they were young, they were probably, like, yeah. 20 years old when they wrote this, Very so young. I'm all for it, man. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And it just, it packs so much in, really, because after the two choruses, we get the bridge riff, which is... You know, there's so many riffs on Kill 'Em All, like Metal Militia, where it's just a smattering of notes before yet again another open chug, and it just makes it really interesting and real twisted. Gives way into the solo, which, you know, doesn't necessarily have a shape or a story to tell, but just as a sheer exhibition through the bend, through the tone as well, and through through that raw, primal, youthful, shredding speed. Like, it's a bit of a face melter. Yeah, I, I mean, I like it too. It's uh, it's basically in two parts. You know, you have the mm. first part, and then uh, it comes back with whiplash, and then sure, you know, sure. does the second half of it, which is it whips back, yeah, or uh, dick rash. Dick rash. It just adds to that wild alacrity of the song, the the runaway appeal of it. It just is a staple in their set. It's been played many, many. Yeah, times. I mean, it's a shame. It's a shame that Jason uh, he used to sing a verse or two, course, you know, back yeah. in the day, and now, I mean, I can't. I don't, I don't think uh, Kirk or Rob can Rob, really handle no. uh, singing a verse. No, um, can, uh, I never appreciated Jason's uh, background backup mm. vocals until he was gone. But um, yeah, it's amazing how yeah, their uh, voices blended so well. Yeah, ultimate garnish, and you know, an artist in his own right, but. I, even though I love Jason Newstead, I still haven't checked out Newstead, his band. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I'm a, a huge Metallica fan. Can't say I've ever checked out his new band. I don't know if you said that much. No, you know, maybe, we've done, maybe when we're done with the original run, I have to like review Newstead and stuff like that. But this song that Newstead's featured on many times, obviously it was written way before he joined the band, uh, debuted October 23rd, 1982 in Fullerton, California. Last played March 4th. 
this year, 2019, in Wichita, Kansas, US, 892 performances total. That's uh, and it was featured in Tony Hawk's Underground too, I believe, right? Which is probably where you first came I, in contact with. I saw that. Yeah, I mean, I have mentioned this before. <laughs> I didn't really play Number Two that first round. Number Two is quite hated amongst the fan base because the first. I, mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the games. No, not really. I, I just uh, I, th- I think I heard you talk about yeah. you know, one of the games at one def- time or yeah. and so yeah. Def- I need actually that's a good idea for an episode. What video games have Metallica been on? Because I'm sure there's been obviously Guitar Hero and stuff like that, but more interesting like soundtracks like that. But yeah, uh, I didn't really play Underground Two, but it's funny you mention that because um, you know it's been played on tons of stuff, tons of tribute records. It's on Guitar Hero and Metallica. Uh, apparently, Whiplash was the favorite song of Kurt Cobain. Yeah, according to Kirk. I, I read that. According to Kirk, <laughs> yep, I, I saw that as well. I don't know. Uh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it comes from an article Metallica's Kirk Hammett on Nirvana's Kirk Cobain. Colon, I knew him well. Didn't realize those guys were close. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe they like to party. He, uh, yeah. I just following up on the article. Yeah, apparently he came onto the uh, Seattle show on the Black Album tour. We were, I, Kirk says, I quote, I remember at one point we were playing Whiplash and he looked at me and kept punching the air with his fist and gave me a big, this just doesn't sound real, Kirk. And gave, me, <laughs> and gave me a Is big, that real? Is there footage of this? this <laughs> gave me a big thumbs up sign. I was like, cool, Kurt. I know you love this song. This one's for you. And he also says that they spent a good deal of time together. Quote, I knew Kurt kind of well and hung out with him quite a bit. He was a pretty big Metallica fan. I was surprised how much of a Metallica fan he was. He loved Ride the Lightning. He loved that album. So, you know, that's a nice little tidbit that we just discovered on the fly there. But any yeah, um, wow. any final thoughts on Whiplash for you, Rob? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's a barn burner. Mm. It's a classic. I mean, set the stage for a thrash to come. Uh, it's, it's probably my, I would say, my second favorite off of Kill 'Em All behind four horsemen but yeah oh yeah that's a that's a oh, that's a very tough choice yeah anesthesia i know i was looking at uh, kill them all and i was like where would i rank it and yeah I, I i have to put uh four horsemen in front of it sadly but you know still amazing song you know i, I don't want to sound like a broken record but i mention this every time we go through kill them all kill them all is better than load and reload you <laughs> I, I that's just uh, that's just sad to hear tom <laughs> I, I don't understand why you it achieves its goals so much stronger like where does it rank uh, next to saint anger saint anger oh i probably like killer more than saint anger yeah okay you better say that yeah, i mean yeah. that that's fine but <laughs> i mean your your disdain for load and reload is uh it's it's upsetting i mean just it's never ending yeah <laughs> i need to let it go but uh as always guys we go onto the twitter and we ask what you think of this song whiplash you can follow us at Metallica Pod as always. We like to do these little mini reviews at the end of the episode. And, you know, of course, follow us on the Twitter as well and get in touch with me, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. So the first comment that we have uh, comes from Kevin, Kevin Van Dam. Jason doing lead vocals is always awesome. Mark just quotes the song, we'll never stop, we'll never quit because we're Metallica and deems that prophetic. Ralph says, freaking fresh masterpiece of the first album. Love the song since I first heard it when I listened to Kill 'Em All for the first time. It's a quick build-up, and then the song basically punches you in the face as it goes into the main chugging riff. Kirk's in full-on shredder mode, while Cliff's awesome bass can be clearly heard in the mix. Hetfield's underdeveloped, somewhat screeching vocal stylings work for this song. Although the lyrics aren't quite up to Unjustice for All standards, they serve the song well for what it is, which is basically a thrash metal manifesto. Type to how you says adrenaline starts to flow, you're thrashing all around, acting like a maniac. It's how you should feel in the pit of the Metallica concert. Metallica brings it. 
R4 Aaron, which is from the Ridiculous Rock Records podcast. People need to go listen to that. If you like Out of you will love that show. Aaron and his guests uh, go through basically the rock canon and beyond. I've been on to discuss 1984 recently. That was a really good episode of Van Halen's 1984. And finally, Dr. Bo says, in terms of Kill 'em All, I rate the likes of Four Horsemen and Motor Breath higher, but it's a really solid song and it's fun live. I've been lucky enough to see it at half the Metallica gigs I've been to and no frills fresher. And Rob, that's Whiplash. That is Whiplash for you. (laughs) That is, uh, you know, always going to be in the set, I think. No matter where the band play, it's a perennial favorite. Yeah, that's a a good um, encore, one of their last three songs in the rotation. Yeah. It's always a treat when you see it live. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Phantom Lord, a lot of people will be aware, is essentially a Dave Mustaine song. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I do know that. He's named in the credits, and um, it feels like a Mustaine song as well. It feels very much like the way he writes riffs, especially the intro riff, and Killing Is My Business, very reminiscent of a lot of the ideas on here. As she was interviewed on Enemy a few years ago, saying, quote, I'm not going to give Lars my credit, so I'm not going to be part of it. He was making reference to the, um, you know, the No Life Till Lever, they were going to do that sort of box set for the for the tape early on for kill them all and stuff uh he said i wrote all of mechanics i wrote all of jump in the fire so me giving any percentage of that to lars he can pound sand and as far as the yeah. song phantom lord i wrote every note of that music james wrote all the lyrics that's 50 50 and it does have some progressive tendencies despite having mustaine all over it so we mm. open with those sort of proggy swirls yeah, isn't it yeah, i, I kind of like that, that. Wah thing yeah mm. yeah it's a bit different from all of the other uh intros which i just go right into it yeah uh it, yeah it has like this yeah you said it a proggy little mm-hmm. synthy sound and then it goes to that da, 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 yeah, yeah that, very very am i evil like that section yeah yeah actually yeah you're right it yeah. is a bit like am i evil sort of rolling drums the stabbing of the chords it's a little bit desultory it's it's slightly anonymous for my taste there but you know whatever this is the, the juvenilia this is the first record they're they're trying new things out you know they're getting into different outfits leather or otherwise and then we get into the main riff i mean yeah that's that's fresh all over is that that's too freshy for you or do you like the riff no no i will i did tell you that um uh injustice for all is my favorite album of all time not just metallica it's definitely my favorite album ever uh and that's probably has some more thrashy uh riffs in it than this one mm-hmm. but well maybe not, uh, not uh, as, yeah maybe, maybe not, not outwardly no. yeah it's more prog fresh but you can't it? you can't for example you can't really headbang too much to this riff the one in in um in uh phantom lord it's it's too i don't know um, it doesn't speak to me that yeah. much when yeah. when you listen to i don't know uh uh Dyer's Eve is also extremely fast, but mm. you can at least move to it. You can you can you can analyze everything a bit more. It's more interesting to me. Uh, 
if I still love uh, Phantom Lord. I'm not. I'm yeah, not yeah. And uh, as I say, it's a very mustaine type riff here. There's really not that much to it. It's a very simple idea, which just has a slightly different intro. Quite motorheady, very punk. And, yeah. you know, with a lot of these early records, like Justice as well, you'd be forgiven for thinking that there's just one guitar here. But I like the sense of two guitar players. I like hearing, you know, okay, it's it's Kirk here and James rather than James and Dave. I'm always going to think of it yeah. as James and Dave. You know, the second guitar with a feedback squall here and him, and then the pick slide down the fretboard. And then, you know, then we get into it. And um, you know, Cliff very visible underneath isn't he um i forget who said it on the show but it's such a good point i think it was um ralph they all the band in his early records almost feel like a power trio like you can really hear the bass as an instrument yeah mm, i can't really remember an instance where i hear the bass in this song but yeah i i, I do hear the bass much much more in in Killamore than in much of their uh further albums uh definitely mm -hmm. maybe well maybe i do hear it a bit more in ride the lightning but from there on yeah probably kill em all is the bassiest one it, it is it is yeah um i mean it is mimicking the riff to a certain extent but there are sections especially in the, the lead breaks that we'll get onto later where where yeah. you know cliff is doing some pretty interesting stuff but you kind of have to listen out for it and just yeah. years of doing this podcast every time wow. I, my, my ears are tuned to lars now my ears tuned to cliff and you yeah. know it's all over i try not to tune my ears to james's vocals on this um kind of questionable yeah. for me yeah, well, the vocals and the whole album are really yeah. not too that good, and the lyrics are also pretty trash. Yeah, but well, uh, but uh, I mean, it's just talking about some some guy, uh, I think pillaging like villages and stuff, some mm -hmm. sort of um, uh, superior being or something like that. It isn't really too too um, uh, complex. No, there are well, there are some sort of like. Um, Four Horsemen, for example, have a bit deeper yeah, stuff yeah. in it. Yeah, for example. But yeah, most of the the album is just thrashing out leather and head banging. It is. It is. The taste of leather on your lips is mentioned. And Phantom Lord was actually uh, one of James's early bands. That's where the actual title. Yeah, comes yeah, from. I did hear about yeah. that. Yeah, and. Um, and yeah, it it is it is a panoply of just tired cliches, sword in hand, falling to the knees, the cry of war, levered armies have prevailed, which is quite an image. Yeah, but I have um, read that uh, the song is actually about the fan base, about mm -hmm. uh, Metallica's fan base talking yep. about how they should, um, yeah, about how they're unstoppable or, or and how they're so great and they should you should bow down to them or something like that. Think. Not too sure about that, but yeah. that's what I've I've read about. And, and and structurally as well, the band aren't trying any of the sophisticated compositions on Justice. You know, the riff exists, and then James, kind of like the solos, is kind of filling in the space in between. Yeah, the, the solos in Kill 'Em All aren't really that good either. No. Uh, but well, it does have some exceptions, some some good stuff there. Um, there's there is one song in Kill 'Em All. Well, well, obviously there's cliff's solo mm -hmm. that's the standout yeah. but but guitar solos um i think the four horsemen has a yes. pretty good one yeah but, but from apart from that i'm not too sure if i can remember any other memorable ones yeah metal militia is quite a fun one as well and jumping the fire as well. but but they are cut from the same cloth absolutely and they're kind of hard to, to hum out of themselves here and then you know in the, the problem with Phantom Lord as well, it doesn't. I think the chorus is quite weak. Da 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 da. da. The melody is quite dirgy, yeah. which is being underscored by James's guitar playing. There's nothing anthemic about it or catchy, you know. Yeah. 
except for that well i completely love the the clean part the, 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 the oh yeah the, oh yeah the, definitely the, that, part. Yeah. that part and that it's it's probably my favorite part well yeah my favorite part from the whole album when he does that acoustic part and then into the the chugging mm, that, yeah that, the chugging's that's great re- that's really good yeah but yeah. i think i'm not too sure i think it goes back into a solo after that or it does or it does yeah da, na, na, na. it's kind of like the seek and destroy solo where the riff is just there and then the parts are being played and when when you hear the solo you almost imagine the rhythm guitar is playing it and then the lead's just filling in the space but i don't know if you've seen the live version of this playing this on the 30th anniversary shows with yeah Dane yeah with miss dane yeah, yeah yeah i have seen it yeah yeah, yeah. really cool clip i'm sure everyone's seen it's got millions yeah. of views like and dave does all the solos which is really cool as well it, it's baffling to hear Metallica guitar solo but plastered in war as well. Uh, it's quite a welcome break. But Dave plays the rhythm and the lead as well. So, so as soon as he finishes that rhythm part, his, his hand is striking up the fretboard. And it's a really cool juxtaposition there. And I really like the leads here. They're, you know, they're visceral and exciting in quite an empty, you know, the noodly kind of way. Uh, well, there is the, the leads. Um... I, I can't really um, picture any like lead parts. I just remember in the whole song is just uh, they're both playing the same riff, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I'm not too. New, too I, I mean, sure like about... the, the sort of solo parts, like oh, the solo, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, the guitar uh, leads, yeah. Wait, are there solos? I just realised are there solos from uh, are they composed by Mustaine or are they composed by? Kirk? Well, I believe Kirk, because... Kirk had to follow Mustaine's intros to the solos and write his own middle parts. But just as a Meta- as a Megadeth fan myself, it kind of sounds all like Mustaine's parts, and you know, it's like a lot of Holy Wars is yeah. in there as well for yeah. that. But but yeah, I, I, that middle section though, that arpeggioed section, you know, that shows a lot of nuance and growth on the band's part, doesn't it? I, I love that realm they enter in the middle of the song. Hmm. Well, speaking about Megadeth, I'm also a pretty uh, big fan of them. Uh, there is, there was one one time in my life when I was juggling in between. Oh, which one is my favorite? Wow. Uh, I'm we, not too we've sure. We've all been uh, there. Every, every yeah. young man has that yeah. choice. Um, no, I think I'm I'm pretty sure Metallica still. Um, what, what, what's your favorite I Megadeth think. record out of interest? Ooh, that's really hard. One. Uh, it depends when you would ask me. Like, probably if you ask me when I first started listening to them, I would say Rest in Peace, mm. like, first by far. But then, uh, like, if I had to, like, listening to one, I would say the best to listen to is um, uh, um, Peace Cells. Uh, mm. But the best album as, as, an, as an album, it would be uh, Rest in Peace. Um, any uh, or, any euthanasia love? Oh yeah, I do love mm. euthanasia definitely. Uh, probably my fourth favorite of them. Third is um, their new one, Dystopia. Definitely, I think. Oh yeah, Dystopia. I've not really listened to that. Not really well, to the new stuff. I act, um, out of all of the albums, I said probably Dystopia is the one I've listened to most. It has the I I I just love it. It's great. It does have some really like bad songs but out of those bad songs it has some really really good ones for example there's this song i'm completely obsessed with it's it's uh, called um conquer or die mm. where it's basically just this long like beautiful solo by kiko Luredo, which is the guitar they need their new guitarist and it's just it's great 
All right, all right. I'm going to add that into the playlist. I'll definitely listen to that. And I mean, just going back to the uh, performances or the anniversary performance in that chuggy bit at the end of yeah. the arpeggio section, which you're right, it's probably my favourite bit as well. It's very simple, but it's very effective. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dave and um, James are just kind of standing next to each other, and James is having a ball up there, and Dave just kind of seems mm. in his own bubble somewhat, which you know plays yeah. to their personalities. But you know, clearly they love playing this song and love having him there as well. And mm. then the song kind of returns. The song has that break solo section that we mentioned before. There is some some busy cliff-isms here. We haven't really spoken about Lars, um, Oliver. What, what are your thoughts on Lars here, on the song in general? On this song, uh, uh, as in general, like with the whole album, it's not that it's pretty stale. There isn't really... Well, no, there are some parts in the album where there are like some different like drum fills, which are okay, like the intro to Fight Fire with Fire or something like that. But this song in particular, I can't really uh, think of any specific part. Like, apart from that, he just hits the toms repeatedly. That's the only part which really stands out to me. And it's extremely simple. So they, I'm, on this song about Lars, I don't really have anything to say, really. No. And you know, J- James, again, as I'll always say on Kill em All, sounds like every song he's kind of going through puberty. He just can't yeah. control his notes yeah. to a certain extent. And some of them jump really high and some of them are really low. And, you know, with sword in hand to control the land, just that squeakiness comes out. Yeah. Where it does work in his favour. And I would say, you know, low-key some of the heaviest Metallica moment. One of the heaviest Metallica moments occurs at the end of this song. James is kind of screamy yeah, throat yeah, section. Yeah. Like, that end part is yeah, pretty good, yeah. Yeah, really cool, isn't it? Like, you don't really hear James ever sing like that. Yeah, he does have this little squeak at the end, which does... Yeah, you're right. I, I never really thought about it, but you're right. Yeah, there is this part which isn't it isn't really natural for him to no. sing like that, but it does sound pretty good. Yeah, and it, again, to go back to the anniversary show, he tries to kind of replicate that at the end of the song, but he's, he's, he's smiling yeah, as he does it because he knows that he can never really hit it and it sounds kind of goofy to begin yeah. with. But um, yeah, as we always do on the show, we reach out to you guys at Metallica Pod and we got some feedback today on Phantom Lord. Bob O'Rourke says, Phantom Lord shreds. The riffing, the riffing in it is killer, and the lyrics are just the right amount of cartoonish heavy metal imagery to not make it stupid. A bona fide classic off a of Killer More. They should play it more often. Uh, Ralph says, "Love the medieval war imagery throughout." I agree that they should play it more often. I saw it done in person for the first time in Grand Rapids on their last date uh, in the US on the worldwide tour. Ralph also adds, "It's an underappreciated and underrated song off a debut. Fast and heavy, fast." face melting thrasher from the boys here hammock does some quick shredtastic lead work on this one always loved how high cliff's bases up in the mix on the entire album quite a treat to see live abel says the most forgettable song off of kill em all still pretty cool nonetheless killer main riff and the ending scream is pretty epic yeah it absolutely is and finally sabra saying very punky sounds like a leftover motorhead track um any final thoughts on the track for you uh, well, I disagree a bit on some of the things uh, they said. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think there are some songs which are much, much less memorable than this one mm-hmm. on Kill em All. So uh, what would you say, like No Remorse, Metal Militia? No Remorse probably is mm-hmm. the most forgettable one for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, I would say so as well, yeah. Uh, well, that one and probably... Mm, yeah, probably just No Remorse is by far the Yeah, worst. no, I mean, like, it's a 10-song album, so it's hard to pick, but like, yeah, yeah. Most people in, that I found pick No Remorse and Metal Militia as being the two. But yeah, No Remorse is probably... Well, the not, not Metal Militia. I actually do enjoy it. Yeah, Metal Militia is exciting as fuck. Like, yeah, I really yeah. like Metal Militia. Yeah. 
And just before we get into the song today, very cool. You head up the Midwest Militia, the Met Club chapter. Yeah, um, I did for a bit, and that actually switched over to um, Lords of Sumner um, once I moved to uh, the Nashville area. But Midwest Militia, I still kind of had my fingers in uh, for a little while um, back when I lived in uh, Columbus, Ohio, which is their capital, kind of central Ohio there, um, because I'm an Ohio guy from from the get-go. But, um, you know, I've moved around a little bit, and... uh, you know, tried to tried to be involved uh, as much as you can as a fan on on the Metallica side of things. Getting into No Remorse, then. I mean, listening to this song is, you know, very much like dipping back at a moment in time. Uh, it, it's very of its era, um, you know, of its murder of the murder in the front row kind of aesthetic, just kind of classic thrash of form that Ma- Metallica were already kind of mastering. I mean. What would you make of this style of music in general? I mean, you mentioned Pantera before. Do you have an appreciation for this kind of older stuff? Or... Right. Um, I think it's just the rawness of it. Um, it's, it's. I think the lack of planning sometimes that goes into Metallica's music sometimes gives you some of their best stuff. Um, and you know, No Remorse, is it the greatest song on Kill Em All? No, I mean, but it falls kind of in line with with kind of the bigger songs on that album. I mean, there's breakdowns in the song that kind of reminisce of of certain parts in Seek and Destroy and, and things like that. But, you know, if if Metallica now created this song, it probably wouldn't be far off base with some of the stuff that you even hear on um, Hardwired. So, you know, I, I, I like No Remorse. It's, you know, probably one of my top five on uh, top four or five on um, Seek and Destroy. So, you know, it's a good listen for me. I mean, would you agree it's slightly a black sheep in terms of the track listing? It's not one that gets mentioned as much. I would totally agree with that. Um, but, you know, since so much time has passed, um, that's one of those songs that, you know, I think anyone would consider um, a treat if they put it on their set list these days, you know. Um, but, you know, it's it's definitely not one of the more popular talked about ones on that album for sure. No, I mean, it is quite long, and I think even if they trimmed it, the kind of, the the vital parts of the song don't quite measure up personally for me um, against a hit the lights or a motor breath or even even a jump in the fire. But yeah, I still really dig the track opening with that trudgy, baggy riff that's still quite tight, kind of gnashing jaws of it, and then a very long guitar solo opening up. Right, uh, that's... You know, to me, I mean, it's it's not a bad solo on no. uh, Kirk's part. I mean, it's it's kind of you can tell the pressure was on him. You know, that's kind of his point and and really trying to acclimate himself to being a band member there, whether he was actually asked to be in it or not. Um, but you know, you can tell it's that pressure and and probably you know fresh off seeking the advice of uh, Joe Satriani and and you know the pressure was on him and I think Kirk performs better um, whenever he's kind of in that state of mind for me anyway. Yeah, it's very much a mark of the era compositionally. I mean, you know, the intro guitar solo isn't anything new as kind of a mood setter. I mean, think of like Out to Get Me by Guns N' Roses, for example, has quite a bombastic solo early on. But this is just very long, and there's some impressive theatrics and dive bombs, etc. It's not just a singular line, it's kind of an elongated piece, which feels more acclimatized maybe in the climax of the song, not the intro. It's a kill-em-all ambush, as they always are, um, kind of descends down and resolves back into the riff that's been underneath it so it is quite drawn out amongst it all it does have a pretty wild energy and cliff is uh, audible as he always is kind of casting these humpy shapes rhythmically underneath um I, you know 
I can't say enough for the sound of the instruments on this record. I just find it quite nourishing. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's listening at it, you know, audibly. It's it's a it's a gem, so to speak. Um, you know, Kirk was was definitely. Um, I, I think hitting some of his high points may what you would see from him a little bit later on over the the next couple albums there, and um, you know, coming into their own and just wanting to be in your face. I think this song kind of personifies, you know, what was really to come um from from some of their more uh not headlining tracks and, and albums to come so it's kind of uh it, it was refreshing for me whenever i first heard this song you know so many years ago um and it's always been one that's not been a track skipper for me no and you know one of the things people might point to as being an artifact of that juvenilia is hetfield's voice it it's quite high pitched at parts. It breaks. It's not in his command like it will be on subsequent records. Also, it's not recorded very well either. Um, so it makes slightly tricky listening, maybe without the lyric sheet early on. Uh, but w- what do you make of his performance and the sound of it on this song? Um, you know, it's it's kind of that classic kill 'em all Hetfield. Um, you know, as you've seen seen them get later on, say once you get into the Black Album era, I mean these songs just pop a lot more. Um, once he kind of got better vocally, but, uh, you know, you appreciate the, the youthful energy he has here and, um, you know, that it's just a staple in that album. I mean, he's just kind of, you can tell he's given it absolutely everything that he, he can possibly give it on the vocal side. And, you know, sometimes that sounds good. Sometimes it, it doesn't with, you know, with the way it kind of makes the changes in his voice and whatnot, but, uh, you know, not bad. Um, definitely not his best work for sure. No, no, it is a little screechy in parts, and they employ some of the tactics that had worked early on in the album, such as Hit the Lights, where, again, here the chorus has a different rhythm. Um, as we're led into that uh, War Without End, it kind of has a jerky, dancey rhythm that plays with things. There's just lots of things that they're employing, I think, that make it such a vital listen. Um, it, it still, as I say, is recorded brilliantly, but I just think some of the... It seems like there's lots of riffs thrown together, I suppose. Like, there is a lot here that they're kind of stapling uh, on top of each other that, that still really complement and there's still so many good riffs like that which again that kind of that figure we've heard in millions of riffs before and since but it's still uh, it's still pretty energetic yeah I agree and uh, you know once they once they actually got themselves dialed in and later on in their careers you kind of felt some more of that at a at a little bit more organized way whenever um, an album like Death Magnetic comes along. So I kind of feel like these two albums to me are have a, are a little bit intertwined in, in kind of the energy they tried to bring. And um, it's it's very evident on both. Um, but but Kill Em All, you know, it's, it's where it's first started. Um, those are one of the first few albums I cut my teeth on, and, and I'll always love it. Um, uh, it's... It's just one of them that kind of just grew my interest in Metallica, and this song particularly um, for me was was one that grabbed a hold of me pretty early. Um, yeah, there's just there's such experimentation in the form. There are all these riffs that we've come to expect from you know the, the, the acolytes of Diamond Head, etc. But then in the in the center of the song, we get some like Tom Morello like scratching um, before another familiar riff, and then the solo on top, big quite bluesy solo, um, all with sort of Mixolydian stings in their tail, establishing these repetitive shapes that kind of climb to and fro and whatever, and eventually building to a twenty-four fret strangle as they always do. But there's some like prog 
foggy moments as well at three minutes 50 um that's kind of a flurry of notes i don't really know how to better describe it but it really stands out to me as quite progressive and i don't know if cliff vied for that or whatever but i think it's really really cool and it just sort of shows you again uh, you know a signal to where they were heading really really enjoy that um it is a long song and verses and choruses come and go and you know it is i think it's like the third longest song on here and kirk's solo again isn't too mind-blowing but um you know it ends grandly as well it ends with like a sort of false ending with the drums very cool or cthulhu-esque yeah um you know kind of it, it stops and gives you that false ending right whenever you know you're like hey i really want more to this song um even though it is as long as it is and uh you know they kind of have a little uh, short into it there afterwards but you know it's just a it's a good build up for somebody who's really you know kind of interested in that uh that particular album of metallica i mean that this song kind of uh personifies everything that i that i thought about it just once you're done listening to the album itself much like no remorse you just kind of like i could take a little bit more of that you know um but just a lot of energy and you know they're Again, it's it's kind of the, a precursor to a lot of their songs that they've kind of based on war and things like that that, that you know, Hetfield really got into that writing style back in those days. And, you know, it, it's just definitely a precursor where they were where they were headed for sure. Yeah, it's a sheer exhibition of speed and fresh accomplishment, you know, already on the debut. I think, you know, it's a marvelous display of technique. It isn't as as addictive for me but but i do again like with every song pretty much apart from the songs off load and reload uh that we do on this show i grow more uh you know i closer to uh, understanding and gain appreciation for uh by doing the research and and you know kill em all is one of my favorite metallica records and and no remorse is uh Certainly an enjoyable romp. 231 times it's been played, so a lot of times. Um, it was debuted August 4th, 1982, West Hollywood, California. Most recently played about three months ago, December 5th, 2018, in Portland, Oregon. I mean, uh, you know, so good that the band play these songs from their first album, and they go down a storm. Yeah, um, you know, and, and like I said before, it's such a treat when you get to hear this. I, I think um, one of the tours I saw it on, probably in the mid to late 90s, I think they're playing at um, Ohio State University, um, their their football stadium there. And I want to say they, they played Re- No Remorse then, and it was just, you know, mind-blowing because that time they, they were still kind of pushing all the load and reload stuff out and um, they were kind of fresh off that. So for me, that was that was a treat, even though some some ears were there to hear the, the newer stuff. But um, I'm kind of an old head when it comes to that. So I, I can remember one of those shows there in Ohio that I really enjoyed, them kind of breaking that one out. And as we always do at Metallica Pod, we're open to feedback on there, your thoughts on the song in a brief tweet or two. Um, we've got a few here uh, on the Twitter. This one comes from Jason Wood. He says, raw and wide open. No guessing with this song. A raging new wave of British heavy metal tribute with snarl and light. Uh, Sabra Gabba saying underrated. Sabbath Bloody Podcast. Go follow them. The best and think only Black Sabbath podcast out there. Shout out Rye. Says no remorse is rad. Opening riff is an onslaught. And I love the way Cliff punches the riff changes uh, and catches all kinds of magic in the interlude. Uh, Ralph finally saying another Kill em All Fresh classic. He doesn't get quite enough love these days, especially live. Lyrics around unrelenting, merciless army destroying all comers were a bit juvenile, but still have their charm. James's blood curdling scream of attack towards the end is just phenomenal um 
What about yourself, Phil? Any closing thoughts on this song? Um, no, other than I can just kind of uh, reiterate the the comments you were getting from from Twitter and and social media. Um, I totally agree with all that. Um, that's mm-hmm. my that would be anything that I would add to the song. They kind of encompass that in those comments there. And you know, it's it's one that you know it's not in my top ten songs, but it's it's one that I would never skip, and right. I always get so much enjoyment out of listening to it. Getting to Seek and Destroy then, it's it's easy to be swept away in the the legacy, you know, being in awe of this track that's been played over 1,500 times live. Right. It is one of their defining numbers. But if we're approaching it just compositionally, just the song in of itself, hermetically sealed, that opening riff, like, do you play guitar yourself? I do, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I started playing guitar as a teenager and I'm currently playing bass. So I can abandon the guitar. Yeah. And and the riff itself anchored on that A string and the way the seven eight comes in, just the shape of it is quite unusual, but quite intuitive, quite earthy on the fretboard and ding 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 you know, it is a very earwormy, kind of menacing assault. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I, I like I like that the song is a mid tempo. Um uh, it's kinda mm-hmm. it's good. I mean obviously a lot of it is kind of maybe borrowed from from Diamond Heads. Uh, there are two songs that you know usually cited. I think the "Sucking Sa- My Saxon Love" is track, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. "Sucking My Love" is the opening riff, and then "Dead Reckoning" is the other song where they yeah. maybe stole the verse riff <laughs> a little bit. Not stole, but maybe got inspired. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, there is that Saxon song as well that I said that uh, basically the solo, the now now. And then, you know, the lead part Hmm. filling in the gap, which to me, again, feels quite in that vein. And I think Stolen's maybe the wrong term. Inspired homage is is a better one. But they use that a lot, Metallica, and a lot of other fresh bands use that. But uh, the song has this kind of almost adorable simplicity when you think about it, when you play it. You know, there's very yeah. little involved. It's very this open and riff with the, you know, descending ending or whatever. I know I'm sort of describing every riff ever there, but there is something in it that's, you know, almost naive that just absolutely works, puts a definitive stamp on this sort of minimal anthemic thrash. And throughout, like so many Metallica songs do this. This is why they're such a fucking incredible band. Not a lot of bands can even really do this. Guns N' Roses is another band that can. Pile on the great riffs, one after another, into a cohesive whole. And, you know, this opening 90 seconds or so of Seek, the way the riff turns, the way it slows even, you know, further down. I just can't get enough of it. Yeah, I agree. I think it takes a lot of self-confidence to to play something simple. Mm Mm-hmm. Because uh, a mistake that many, you know, aspiring bands do is they try to play something complex that is sometimes, you know, above and beyond their abilities. But, you know, playing something simple and making it sound good, it's really precious. The bouncing bass of Cliff is very noticeable in the intro of the track. 
Yeah, I th- this whole album, by the way, I, if I have to say something uh, really good about Kill 'Em All, I think in terms of how the bass stands in the mix is probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, because after that, for some reason, Metallica chose to kind of bury the bass. You know, yeah. we, we know the, the story with Injustice and so forth. But here, and I know uh, the story of the recording is that the, the, the band was kept away from the mixing process, right. which, as far as I'm concerned, is, is, works well, uh, yeah. especially, especially for the bass. Yeah, well, it was like the bass wasn't even buried on Justice first. Like, you know, it, it doesn't pop like it does on here. I think someone on the show before mentioned that the Killamore's almost like a power trio record because you can just hear that bass there. It's not just following the riff. It's this yeah. kind of, it's almost dissonant, the note, because it really does stick out quite sorely and works really in the favour of just propelling this thing forward because it's all about momentum and adrenaline isn't it there's nothing there's nothing deep or poignant about a seek and destroy it doesn't need to be (laughs) yeah i think it's the opposite of of deep actually especially the lyrics um it's probably the 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 shallowest (laughs) lyrics or uh yeah maybe maybe it's tongue-in-cheek or something but uh yeah they're they're very (laughs) i don't know primitive and it's a song that doesn't die like it's a song that you think ends and has lots of kind of false stops and starts and just returns to its dominance to to seeking and destroying you know yeah almost seven minutes you know that middle middle part with the solo it Mm. it sounds so much like dave mustaine i know he doesn't have a credit but it really sounds like him sounds a lot like the phantom lord breaks and just sounds a lot like him in general and and that sort of scene like chris poland as well of megadeth they kind of have that I don't know, it's hard to explain, almost like running water there, legato, like, it doesn't even sound real, like, you know, just the speed of it and the kind of the slippery nature, and yeah, uh, do enjoy the playing on here, like, you know, okay, it's not, it's a call and response sort of thing, and Kirk's leads are aggressive in their speed and shredtastic to a certain extent, but it's not like, I've been listening to some Docker, and I'm always kind of enjoying Docker every now and then, and uh, George Lynch, I just, I just think he's a phenomenal player. And he kind of does a lot of similar stuff where I'll just sort of play lots of notes and just hope for the best in between jumps. And, uh, yeah, Kirk's stuff is bad. What I prefer in terms of the speed in the song is the, uh, I guess you call it the bridge of the... Like, again, that is on rails. You can kind of see where it's going. But still, so absorbing. Like, I listened to this song not 10, 15 minutes ago, and it just still works. Love it. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, I, I discovered a Raven song entitled Seek and Destroy. Uh, ah, but interesting. It, it doesn't sound anything like Metallica. But I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Ride the Lightning is from Diamond Head, album title. So, you know, who knows? Yeah. Um, they could have got that directly. I mean, this song, I mean, this is kind of a weird stat on this song, but it was one of the songs that was placed on the uh, post 9-11 inappropriate titles list. I don't know if you're aware of that. Mm-hmm. No, I'm I'm not. But I, I always made parallels with with Search and Destroy by the Stooges. Yes, which is which is mm-hmm. a great song with yeah. great lyrics. Yeah, and you know, the Princess of the Night is that Saxon song, by the way. That the three mini solos kind of ape there with their structure. And um, Lars always said in '93, if Seek and Destroy is borrowed from any Diamond Head song, it's Dead Reckoning. It's greatly inspired Seek and Destroy, shall we say? Yeah. And on the Black Album tour, on average, this seven-minute song, it became like between 16 to 20 minutes. Yeah, I, th- I think Jason was singing it most, mm-hmm. of, most of the times. I mean, that that's incredible. 
I mean, I, I can't say I don't get bored listening to the Finch and Purge version, but... Yeah, me, me too. I mean, I, it's probably too nice much. live, but you just sit through it 16, yeah. you know, 18 minutes, it yeah. gets boring. I, I have distinct memories, actually, me and my friend Ryan, who's been on here for Battery, must have been playing, like, Gears of War on the Xbox or something like that and listening to this in the background, and he just kept going on and on and on, and it was just... There's a lot of haze from Jason, let's say that much, and a lot of the main riff there, but still, it just... You know, it serves its purpose. It makes sense as a song that could go that far. I don't think Here Comes Revenge could be stretched out to 20 minutes. Um, been played a hell of a lot, pretty much mostly as the closer. I mean, on the most recent tour that I saw the boys on in Birmingham, October 30th, 2017. This is the third song, I believe. So what, what do you make of it in terms of its live positioning? Well, it's really amazing that uh, the longevity of the song is is amazing. Although I I do find it a bit dated uh, nowadays, course, but it's yeah. such a classic that it's it, it's really hard to say that because it's kind of you know it created a sp- space of its own, and it's uh, even when you try to compare it, you know where they took the riffs from. There are so many songs that borrowed from from Sick and the Star that it's, at, at this point it's such a oh, yeah. kind of standard that it's it's really difficult to to kind of judge it uh, objectively. Uh, but even in my news feed today, I think Metal Sucks was one of those uh, sites. Uh, there was a news from recent news that Metallica played Sick and Destroy with some 13-year-old boy. Was it in, in Holland or something? Oh, I saw the thumbnail, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's such an iconic song. I think that they will always play it. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I thought they would ever have a, a gig without playing Sick and Destroy. No, no. And it's one of those entry-level songs. Like I mentioned before on the show, I used to have this thing called Guitar Club at my old secondary school, our biology teacher, Mr. Hughes. And every Friday, we'd, you know, there were like five or six of the guitar-playing kids, whatever, would gather together and jam and stuff. And Seek and Destroy would be one of those songs just everyone would know. Or if you didn't yeah. know it, you would learn it in seconds. Like, it just has that irresistible quality to it. But, you know, it still retains that appeal. Let's see what you guys thought. On the Twitter, at MetallicaPod, as said before, we always welcome your opinions on the songs. Uh, Sabbath Bloody Podcast saying, a standout on their debut, undeniably anthemic and uniquely Metallica. What? It's a Diamond Head ripoff? Well, it's still awesome. So, I mean, yeah, there are some uh, liberties taken. Uh, Nick Makovic has a good Saxon cover, never a barb there. Phil saying, one of their best early songs, signature Metallica of an intro riff that every teenager tried to play on their first new guitar, a live staple which never fails to energise the crowd. Matt Jameson saying, way too long live, which I do understand. The Deep Purple podcast, shout out to those guys. Love the riff on this one, early Metallica, it's best. And Fix is saying, my favourite Metallica song to play on guitar, an absolute classic. I mean, unsurprising uh, the reaction there, Yvonne. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I'm really happy that Metallica matured after Second Destroy, <laughs> oh, to yeah. be honest, because I'll be worried uh, if, for, for people that cite Second Destroy as their favorite song. <laughs> because, uh, I mean, that's probably that subsection of the fans that uh, used to send death threats to Lou Reed, for example. Uh, yeah, to, I just, mean, uh, yeah. Go listen to Junior Dad, you assholes. Like, you know, re- <laughs> reappraise. Re- Where do you stand out of interest? Reload or kill them all? Uh, oh, kill them all. Yeah. Any day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the, the first four albums, maybe the first five. Of course. Yeah, yeah. those are just, you know, precious. Yeah, and uh, I just, yeah, I, I do I do really, really still enjoy this. Song. I, a lot of kill them all, I enjoy a lot more than this track. Uh, part of it is it's kind yeah, of, it gets a little bit tiresome uh, points. And I think so much of kill them all is so, you know, run and gun. 
as it were. Um, I mean, this song is fucking everywhere. I wasn't even aware of this, but apparently this song is used like one of the songs in sports, like one of the marquee songs, uh, Sting, The Wrestler, the San Jose Sharks, apparently have Seek and Destroy as their entrance theme. Uh, many of the band members are Sharks fans, Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, lots of other weirdly titled uh, teams there the out oh they replaced the outfield your love which i love as well it's a great song lots of bands have covered it it's it's ubiquitous in this ecosphere right yeah yeah absolutely it's like i don't know it's like smoke on the water or something yeah yeah i mean i mean talk about the song for you then like i mean a defining song of your youth yeah i mean it's again that's the song that got me into into metallica Mm -hmm. it's so catchy uh it's well today just looking back i probably wouldn't place it in my top 15 metallica songs but uh it it served its purpose i mean it's 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 a gateway song into metallica i would say it was as we said before it was performed 1554 times as of us recording this on june 12th 2019 it was most recently performed yesterday in amsterdam and first performed July 3rd, 1982 in Costa Mesa, California. It's going to be on every show ever, right? And I think in terms of time elapsed, it's, it's, it's the most uh, played yeah. for sure. Yeah, oh, hell yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is uh, an endearing classic. Let us know what you think of Seek and Destroy down below. Email me, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. If you want to come on the show as well, at MetallicaPod on Twitter. Um, any closing thoughts on Seek and Destroy? Uh, I don't know. We didn't get into the lyrics, but again, I I don't oh, find the, them the lyri- particularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, 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 <laughs> yeah. Sorry, good, good point, good point. I'll uh, so uh, just, I'll just cut this. So just finally, then, I mean, the, the lyrics. Got to get onto the lyrics as well. Like, what, what, what do you make of these? I mean, it's 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 almost like sounds like uh, you know violence for the sake of violence for the fun of it, sure. which is, I guess, that's that was part of the vibe in the Anakin. early, uh, you know. Bay Area thrash like Murder on the Front Row and all that. Um, m- maybe there's there's a glimmer of, of some kind of reasoning in one of the lines you you always been taking and now you're given. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's any anything so, yeah, a, a, uh, directed towards mm-hmm. something <laughs> or or right. just a, a general kind of object of ire. Um, but it's you know I I always think it's just a a bit of a brainless uh, you know gratuitous violence uh, centered song yeah. in terms of the lyrical content dying 1000 deaths <laughs> bloody ambitious yeah uh, the search and the space those chords leave I mean again that's testament to the simplicity the beautiful simplicity of this track like if you play that's literally just three chords that's up and down that's nothing that is just perfect and yeah, the pool, the there's pool. so many songs that follow that that structure, yeah. those, those descending. Oh my god! Uh, oh my god! Everything, everything, and you know, this is you know the um, history of this track as well. Uh, Hetfield was actually interviewed and said, uh, "Were you conscious that you're writing a song you've played 35 years?" He said, "Without selling too full of." Oh, sorry. Um, uh, let me just re-record. So Lars was just interviewed on Metal Hammer. And he was saying, asked, were you conscious that you were writing a song in Seeing Destroy that you'd be playing for 35 years? He said, absolutely not. Weren't conscious full stop. Without sounding too full of ourselves, we always treated the songs as equals. We felt that the song before Seeing Destroy and the song after it were just as good. And the one thing we didn't have then was a lot of songs to choose from. They weren't seven leftover songs for Ride the Lightning. Every single song that we've written, you've heard. So how do you write this on your first album? How, How do you do it? 
Yeah, this is a good question. Well, I think Kill 'Em All is one of the best debut albums. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All time, if you ask me, mm-hmm. I'll put it right, right there with maybe Rich Against the Machines debut. Wow, that's an I don't know what else. Debut. Pearl Jam. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I mm-hmm. agree. Pearl Jam. Ten is my favorite. I don't. And many people would disagree, but it's still yeah. My okay, okay. Sh- like, I'm sorry, snobby Pearl Jam fans. No code isn't better <laughs> than ten. It's just not. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't really know what albums you're listening to. Like, people are like, oh, Red Mosquitoes, like this really deep. I'm like, no, it's. I don't know. It doesn't do it for me, but uh, but yeah, I agree. I think ten's almost underrated, even though it's completely overrated. Uh, I would say Soundgarden, but their debut wasn't great. Screaming. No, the right. first few. Yeah, yeah the they... first few records are. You, you can see how they're still yeah. trying to find their 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 sound. Mm-hmm. I think anything before Louder Than Love is is a bit immature. With Soundgarden. I mean... For for me personally, just to go on a quick tangent, like the the era that I've really been exploring is like SST records, like Greg Ginn's mm-hmm. uh, Black Flag label, and a lot of kind yeah. of grungy antecedents like Wipers and also Meat Puppets are an absolutely yeah. extraordinary band. Like seriously, quickly becoming one of my favorite bands that I've recently got into. Like you know their early records, their second record is 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 sublime. But um, I mean, Seek and Destroy just closing up. Then any any final thoughts on the track? <laughs> No, I think we covered it. I mean, it's such an iconic song. I, I, I don't know what, what else to say. It just speaks for itself. something like kill them all then so we're getting on to today's closing track being metal militia like where do you rank kill them all um I, that, even on that album i'd say that's kind of like a uh middle of the pack kind of song for me yeah. yeah you know it's a it's a nice kind of fast thrashy way to end the uh to end the album uh the lyrics are you know um not as mature as some no. of the other stuff James has written, but uh, for you know being what was he like nineteen or something like that, they're yeah. they're pretty good. There's a lot of the raw components there that I think makes the song successful. It opens a bit like the opener, hit the lights with kind of a pause, a theatrical grandiosity into the main riff, which is very fight fire with fire esque. That kind of machine gun rhythm. The, I don't know about you, but when I first heard it, and you know, I can definitely see it that way. It feels quite primitive, the riff, certainly in comparison to like the Justice stuff you mentioned before. But it's pretty irresistible the more you listen to it. Oh yeah, it's a very, very catchy killer riff. Yeah, yeah, just an, an you know an assault really into the the second riff, which is very much like you know Seek and Destroy that sort of Diamond Head interlude. It's something instantly immortal. The da na 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 na, you know, it just comes in like this wailing siren and Cliff joining in underneath, doing his own thing around the song. Like it, it it's breathless for me. This intro, I think, it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, I think I I know Mustaine has a a credit on this sure. song as well as what three other songs on here. Yeah, um, and I can definitely hear. Uh, his uh his influence on it mm-hmm. uh you know because he kind of goes out and it's like 
uh, wants to rip your face off right away. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. they, they played this song live, obviously, many, many times. But they did it at the anniversary shows, the 30th anniversary shows in 2011, uh, with Mustaine playing this song, actually. Yep. Yeah, they certainly did. I think it seems like they kind of don't play it as much anymore. It used to be a staple, like, way back in the day. But I haven't heard... I've, I've actually never heard it live, and I think I've seen them about nine times now. So mm. I've heard a lot of other songs, but not this one. Yeah, it seems to have been around. Um, I watched a few live versions of it. It was They were at, like, Amoeba Record Store Day, I think, in 2016, and they did that, but... Um... I think they did it on the hardwired tour as well. But you are right, it is a more of a rarity now. And um James's voice we have to talk about, as yeah. always with Killer Mall. Very odd, very like doesn't kind of make sense. Like it'll start high and go low, or it'll just kind of waver in and out. And with the production on the voice itself as well as the delivery, it's kind of a double whammy, isn't it? It's quite disorientating. Yeah, it is a little bit. It's like you said, he kind of goes back and forth between the high screechy kind of thing in the the low guttural type of thing um kind of well still trying to get a feel for for how to sing really yeah definitely how to, how to be a front man how to project how to lead right. i mean it's still charming and effective and it's funny in the live editions and i've seen a lot of the comments mention this as well you know james will stick to the higher interpretations he, he won't kind of hetfieldize it he won't kind of you know bring that later maturity into it he'll be quite faithful to it and that that is part of the appeal he's barking he's he's yapping quite a simple chorus as well just metal militia with the uh, you know open e in between yeah oh yeah very simple. You know, we're a long way away from sort of the, 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 the Bob Rock compositional structures here. It's just barking out the song title, but that's what it needs. And um, it is the closing song on Kill 'Em All. I don't know if it feels like a sort of classic closing song to me. It just kind of ends on a, you know, relentless aggression note. Yeah. You know what? For a long time, uh, the copy that I had, it wasn't actually the closer. Yeah. Uh because I think Electra took "Am I Evil" and okay. uh, yeah, yeah. and threw them on at the end uh, when they put the album out. Uh, so when I purchased the the remastered version, you know, it's just those ten songs and that's it. So for geez, for decades, that wasn't really the closer for me. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, in today's streaming world as well, that's kind of slightly irrelevant, I appreciate. But um, it's just interesting themselves um, that they staged it there. And, you know, as you mentioned before, it is kind of a middle-of-the-pack song, I would say. That's quite fair on Kill 'Em All. Um, I personally actually really love Kill 'Em All. It's definitely been a revelation for me doing this podcast, just how much I've grown to adore this style of music, this, you know, moment in history, but also just this playing from the guys. And I think stuff like Jump in the Fire that we covered before on the show, Anesthesia, um, you know, Hit the Lights, Four Horsemen, like, you know, anything we haven't covered as well, I have really enjoyed. But yeah, back into Metal Militia, we have uh, Kirk here with the solo. And like the bass, which we'll get to, the, the song pulls away, Ralph, and we get sort of a little lead from Kirk and then into the solo itself. Yeah, I, I I've heard this solo on the the No Life Tell Leather version, which mm. is a Dave Mustaine solo. Yeah, and I'd say Kirk's version he kind of started in a similar way, and then took it 
somewhere else, which mm-hmm. was seemed like somewhere better to me. It seems like a much vet- better solo than the No Life Tell Other version. Yeah, I, I I agree. Actually, I don't think Mustaine was much of a lead player. Like, I mean, technically he was great, but yeah, he's a he's a great technical player. But I don't know about um, his leads. They're kind of, I don't know. They're kind of uh, sloppy, maybe yeah. all over the place. Yeah, I know what you mean. They're kind of jerky. They're kind of spasmodic. Yeah. They're sort of kind, yeah. of kind of the way he was then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think they're his leads are a fair representation of his personality. Yeah, but but, but yeah, I think he knew how to, he knows how to start a solo absolutely, and he does create those riffs as you say before uh, in this song and like you know Phantom Lord and stuff like that. Real jackhammers. Right. Yeah, Kirk's lead. It has that sort of break there into a. You know, it's a fine sort of solo from him. It's really of the time. Again, he was very young. Like we're saying, James is very young vocally. Um, I think it does what it needs to do. This sort of genre of music was still approaching that, you know, ardent virtuosity that he and uh, all the fellow peers would accommodate. One of the things I really like as well about this song is as well as Kirk's pullout, as I say, is the bass pull-out. reminds me a little bit of No One Knows by uh, Queens of the Stone Age, but I, I I love that we just get a bit of cliff down below. Yeah. You know what? Um, especially on the remastered version, it seems like they they pulled the bass and, like, the bass drum, like, way up in the mix, um, where, like, it was lower before. Mm. And you don't really... Uh, to me, on this album, you hear Cliff's bass more than either Ride or Master of Puppets, honestly. I mean, I kind of yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, completely agree from listening to it. And there are times, like, when the main riff is played that, you know, there's a really awesome playing by Cliff that isn't just the root notes. He's sort of bubbling underneath and just, I don't know, he's just quite frantic there. And it just really helps to etch out the song even more so. The drop, going back to him, initiates the kind of next movement of the song as well. And and yeah, you cannot hear him as well um, on the second or third album, certainly not. It does almost give it this almost trio feel where the bass is kind of, you know, a proper instrument, really taking notice of that. What do you think about Cliff over? rule in this song oh and this i think mm. is great i think he's great like all over this album yeah. i mean he's great period but he was i mean his, his stuff really comes out it's really noticeable more on kill em all than any other album really yeah obviously on later albums you have the songwriting print as well um you know mm. ryan most notably but but yeah no I think from day dot like they all were really they all were um gifted instrumentalists and james vocally maybe needed a little bit of work sounding quite aggrieved at times quite strained and and we as listeners have to sort of strain to hear him as well the chorus repeats as we lead our way out of this song which you know is five minutes ten one of the longer songs uh on kill em all not up there with the six and seven minutes obviously but but still one of the longest attempt first song closing the album and then we have uh the the, the sound effects how, how do you interpret the marching uh Almost like the band uh, marching off to war to conquer the world or something mm. like that. It's an interesting thing. You know, it's a thing we get in a few Metallica songs, the sound effect, where we do have this sort of uh, military march going forward. Um, it's not clear if, you know, this is marking the end of the album where you say they're marching away or, you know, the kill them all uh, hypothesis is being achieved. I'm not sure, but 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 still pretty evocative and it does create an ending as uh, Hit the Lights. It's kind of live intro created a start 
and uh, yeah, yeah, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. But um, any any anything else to say on metal militia, Ralph? Ah, uh, no, I don't think so. Other yeah. than um, in the version that I used to have, uh, they used to have "Am I Evil" right after that. Yeah. So the the marching off to war thing, and mm. then the kind of martial drums at the beginning of "Am I Evil" kind of made sense together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. That I mean, that sort of sequencing you can't really obviously. Well, that was on a printed release, but like. The power of it, I've, I don't think, can be uh, underestimated. It's been played 86 times, Metal Militia. It was first played on March 27th, 1982. That was in West Hollywood, Cali. Mo- uh, most recently performed April 16th, 2016 in Berkeley, California. So, yeah, it's been played a fair few times. But as you say, most often recently, uh, most often early, I should say, uh, on Clifford Mall as well, as well as a few mm-hmm. other releases. But I wouldn't say it is one of the songs that i really really do rate off killer mall ultimately i think it is a kind of middling track um in some ways it's just not as catchy or as memorable i suppose for some people but but still i think it's an incredible showcase of the band and i still really really do enjoy it as a song as i do enjoy um a lot of killer mall and let us know down below what you think of metal militia um at metallica pod uh get in touch with metallica pod at gmail.com as well let us know in the comments 